This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. But Art Collector is kicked clear. Art Collector in the colors of Bruce Lundford. They're going to win the Pegasus World Cup going away. Art Collector and Junior Alvarado win by four in the end. Gambling Girl and Pretty Mischievous. These two go to the wire. Pretty Mischievous Gambling Girl. Pretty Mischievous wins the Kentucky Oaks. And it's the Belmont winner in charge. Disarm gets loose late, and it's coming with a menacing bid. It's Archangelo and Disarm 1-2. Archangelo, another Travers for Javier Castellano. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Arabian Nights all hard battling on. Slow down, Andy, any one of these three. It's Arabian Night hanging on. Go Rocket Ride, Arabian Night has won the Pacific Classic. A 16th to run, and Idiomatic has a two-length lead. Nest is fully extended, but not coming close to Idiomatic. A huge performance all the way in the personal ensign. Yukiri has moved up into second on the outside, running a big one at a good price, but there's no doubt about the winner. Goodbye, Olive is a champion again. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. It is once again post time for the show that launched a network, and it all comes your way right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you spending your Saturday morning with me here on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you are accessing your podcasts. Well, Happy New Year to everybody throughout HRN Nation. I hope you have a, a wonderful 2024. And with this being the final program of 2023, I plan to spend some time looking back on the top moments from this past year and looking ahead to 2024. And I know that that's not a, a novel concept, but I do think 2023 is a year that deserves some attention. I think this is the year that will be looked upon as the year in which horse racing began to alter the way it does business. And it may even be the year that when looking back on it a decade from now, when racing is flourishing in 2020 and 2033, that you would point to this year and say, this is when it all started. This is when the industry finally decided it had to do more than simply talk about change. Today's show is also going to put a bow on my 20th year of bringing you horse racing conversation here on radio. It all started when I sat down behind the microphone for the first time with my mentor, the late Pete Coolis, in April of 2003. And it feels like ever since that time, I've been making the case, and it's certainly been my opinion each year, that the thoroughbred racing industry is notorious for bringing all of the decision makers of the industry together at various conferences, conventions, symposiums, what have you. And they have 
it, what are usually incredibly positive discussions about a multitude of issues facing the game. But then the conventions, the symposiums, the conferences end. And those conversations that were had rarely, if ever, lead to any kind of change. And I think when when racing historians look back a decade from now and the industry is significantly different and, yes, still doing very well, they're going to point to 2023 as the pivotal tipping point. At least I hope that's the case. Because if those historians don't look back and see that the challenges, the reforms, the conversations, the debates which have taken place this year have led to a more unified industry, which has also learned how to regulate itself and to market itself and to defend itself against all of the haters who will always be there. They're going to be there in 2033 too. They're going to be crying for racing to be abolished. They're always going to be there. They're there with, they're there with a lot of sports, not just horse racing, but, Certainly because horse racing involves horses. There are those who are going to say it is abusive. It should be abolished. It'll be the same a decade from now. But if historians in 10 years are not seeing that 20 23 led to significant change is probably because there really isn't anything left for them to care about looking back on. I don't think that's the case. And for those who, who currently hold the chicken little view that the sky is falling and racing is doomed, which I absolutely do not, by the way, just take a look at the, the 37,143 racing fans who turned out on opening day of the Santa Anita meet on Tuesday. Take a look at the all-sources handle of $18.3 million that was wagered that day, which, by the way, rates as the best handle ever among a total of 17 opening days conducted on a Tuesday. And that 37,143, that's only 10,000 fewer fans than the Los Angeles Dodgers' average attendance this past year. I know that the Dodgers do that for an entire season. I get it. But what I'm trying to say, that's a big number, 37,143 at the racetrack on a Tuesday. That's a big number. Saratoga's attendance this past year surpassed 1.1 million for their 2023 meet. That's the first time that's happened since 2018. But I know, racing's dead. The Kentucky Derby on NBC attracted 14.1 million viewers. And although that was a decrease from 2022, the Derby was still, still the most watched sporting event since the Super Bowl. And second only to the Academy Awards as the most watched show. Let that sink in for a minute for those who think Racing is dead. So for those who are digging the six-foot hole for the industry, horse racing still has a pulse. I can promise you that. And in many cases, that pulse is pretty strong.
I'll have some more thoughts on that coming up in hour two of today's show when I lay out my personal New Year's resolutions for the racing industry. But in the meantime, I'm going to look back on some of the biggest moments of 2023 with National Turf Riders and Broadcasters President Tom Law, who's going to be with me coming up in a few minutes at 8.15 Eastern. He'll help kick off this program for you here today. And we, we won't talk about the, the obvious. We, well, we will. We'll talk about the obvious ones like Cody's Wish, for example, and what that meant to the sport this year in the past couple of years, certainly. You know, we'll talk about White Barrio and, and the Rick Dutrow comeback and the, the magical year that Jenna Antonucci had. All of those storylines are deserving of being mentioned among the biggest moments and the best moments of 2023. But I'm also going to visit with Tom and talk to him about some of the moments you might have forgotten about that really were significant this year. How about Art Collector? You heard that call in the open to today's show. Art Collector winning the Pegasus World Cup. Cool moment. We lost him this year. That was sad. But Art Collector kicked things off in January of last year in a big way. Really got the ball rolling in 2023. You might not think of that when you think about the top moments of 2023, but it certainly was. It was one of them. So I'm going to talk to Tom about all of those types of under-the-radar storylines too. In the poll question this morning, you can weigh in with your top moment. What racing moment will you remember most in 2023? I'll give you a few options. You can go to at HRRN on Twitter. You can go to Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. Or if you don't do social media, email the show. You can email me directly, mike at horseracingradio.net. And let me know what racing moment you will remember most in 2023. Was it the Forte scratch from the Kentucky Derby? That was certainly significant. It led to a lot of other moments throughout the year. The Forte scratch of the Derby is choice number one. How about Jenna Antonucci winning the Belmont and the Travers, making history with both of those events? Cody's Wish winning the Dirt Mile again, an emotional moment right before the passing of Cody Dorman. Incredible stuff. And then the final category is other. I leave it open to you. If you think there is another moment beside those three that you're always going to remember from 2023, you can comment on those social media posts. Let me know what moment you're going to remember. And again, you can do that via email, mike at horseracingradio.net. Jockey Junior Alvarado joined me right after the Breeders' Cup, a week after on this very same show. And he talked about that Breeders' Cup win with Cody's Wish. He talked about winning the Juvenile Phillies with just FYI. His interview was so compelling, I thought it was appropriate, since we're looking back on some of the top moments, to bring that interview to you again here this morning. So you're going to hear Junior Alvarado at 8.35 Eastern time talking about that incredible Breeders' Cup that he had and, and looking ahead to you know, his thoughts on should Cody's Wish be Horse of the Year for 2023. He'll share his thoughts on that too. Jockey Usheen Murphy will be with me at 9 o'clock, the International champion jockey is riding now at Gulfstream Park, which is a bit of a switch for him. Looking forward to that visit coming up at 9 Eastern. And at 9.35, jockey Juan Hernandez, who is the top jockey in Southern California right now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The defending champion for the Santa Anita Classic Meet, which began the day after Christmas. Juan took time to visit with me yesterday to, to talk about his success, talk about where he came from and to look ahead to what he's going to have to do to defend that title at the Classic Meet. 
here in 2023 and looking ahead to 2024. So that comes up at 935. You won't want to miss it. 10 o'clock Eastern, the Twin Spires triple play with James Scully. He'll give you three races to watch later today that you can bet at twinspires.com. Kurt Becker stroll through racing history at 1020 and at 1030. I ask, they answer. Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin both back with me for a special edition of this program where we look back on 2023 and talk about what they would do, what their New Year's resolutions would be for the sport. If I suddenly appointed Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin co-commissioners of the industry. So it's a busy show. There is plenty to get to. Weigh in on the poll question. Keep those comments coming. I'll kick it all off with Tom Tom Law next. He's with me coming up after this break. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Sharky's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is going to be clear. And going to take the rear to sprint by a widening margin. Five miles all the way to get 875 there are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. You can only be a three-year-old colt on the first Saturday in May, one time. And whether you develop a fever or you bruise your foot, um, I will say that we had three of the best vets look at them. Bramlage uh, looked at the x-rays fine, uh, was on the phone with both Todd and I, uh, Dr. Day. <laughs> Dr. Alday left here yesterday saying he'll be fine, Mike. He's going to run. And Dr. Johnson, um, he also left here yesterday, says he'll be fine. Um, I think the vets are being overly cautious. Um, and I understand that. I, I, the safety of the horse is the most important thing. I'm more concerned about the systems that we have um, than scratching this horse under these bright lights. 
Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. That was Mike Rapoli, the owner of Forte, talking to the media Derby morning after it was announced that Forte would not be allowed to run for the Roses in the Kentucky Derby. And it is a moment that led to many other moments and many other conversations and discussions throughout the year. And in my opinion, maybe the significant moment for the industry in 2023. Tom Law is the president of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters Association. He is also the managing editor of ST Publishing, and he is with me now to look back on some of those moments. Tom, good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, That moment right there, boy, that spurred a lot of conversation in this game throughout 2023, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, wow. Little little did we know uh, at the time uh, what what laid ahead, you know, it seemed like uh, <laughs> the morning of the Derby or even the week leading up to the Derby. Uh, that was the the prevailing story. Um, and then, of course, then it becomes, you know, sort of the theme of 2023 uh, throughout the year on the, you know, uh, racing at Churchill Downs, uh, ends up being switched to Ellis Park, and then we go to Pimlico, and then we have some stuff going on at Saratoga, and on and on and on as the year goes on. Yeah, th- those were the storylines that caught national attention, and that's something I'm going to talk about later in the program, that looking ahead to 2024, wouldn't it be nice for the industry <laughs> to um, do a better job of defending its players? And I understand that when horses suffer catastrophic, catastrophic injuries on national television or at any point, that's that's indefensible, but... To, to promote the positive storylines that are taking place because outside of, of those those horrific stories, there were some really unbelievable moments in thoroughbred racing this year. Oh, amazing stories. I mean, just I, I was going through it after you and I kind of got together yesterday, I was going through racking my brain and just kind of looking back at the, at the amazing stories that we did. We were blessed with. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody always cries for a national – office of this or national office of that but maybe we we need we need to do a better job of of uh you know circling the wagons or just kind of like telling the stories that of the sport and uh doing a better job of informing the public about uh what actually happens in our in our game and with injuries and you know not saying it's uh not saying it's 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 easy. That's an easy job by any means. Uh, I think it's difficult, but uh, maybe some of the uh, the efforts that are that are made uh, towards promotion or you know trying to sell this or sell that in the game, maybe the, that money might be better served uh, being put forth to a, a good, really good public relations effort. You know, from a professional standpoint, uh, and, and and I'm talking uh, a, a real good crisis management firm and or a real good public relations firm, uh, not not something from within and not something that's just, you know, the same old, same old people in the Thurbert industry that are taking a paycheck and and uh, <laughs> making a good living and not really doing a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, negative storylines occur in every sport. It's not just thoroughbred racing. We are not the lone sure. rangers in that respect. But, yeah, that's right. other, other sports, other industries, they have people in place that can say, okay, Yes, we messed up. Here's what we're doing to fix it. But, hey, let's take a look at all of the good things that are happening. That's where yeah. racing, I think, always drops the ball because, man, let's face it, from from the farms to the sales pavilions to the 
to the people that are breaking our young horses on the farms and to the people that are training them, to the people that are caring for them. There are so many wonderful people in the game that are doing such wonderful work, and so many good things happened here in 2023. So let's talk about some of those, Tom. What are some yeah. of the, the top moments that are going to stand out to you when you look back on this year? Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people, the, the sort of the theme of the year, you know, had a lot to do with uh, some successes that some of the ladies in our industry have had. Uh, you know, you look at a, a trainer like Jenna Antonucci with Archangelo. Uh, I was filling up my Eclipse Award ballot the other day, and I was thinking about her. And, and, and for her to do what she did with Archangelo, you know, to win the Belmont Stakes and then to go on to win the Travers and, and most likely the three-year-old champion. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he was a great story. She was a great story. Uh, we talk about it sometimes at the Saratoga Special Office. We talk about, like, trainers getting an opportunity and maximizing it. You look at a, a, a trainer like Jenna Antonucci. She's probably had one chance in her career to, to to win a race like the Belmont Stakes or the Travers. And she actually went ahead and did it, you know, versus having 300 chances every year or, you know, 300 chances in, in 10 years. I mean, she actually did it. I mean, that's the, the true definition of a real uh, good horsewoman and, and just having great skills. Um, you know, you look at Linda Rice as well. Talk about taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, Linda Rice just, just, you know, the whole meet during Saratoga uh, we were thinking, is Linda Rice going to win the training title? You know, right up until the very end. And of course, yeah. then she ties uh, ties Chad Brown for the for the title up there. No, no small feat, you know, as you know. Um, you know, then you have a, a, a fairly like idiomatic uh, who just runs the table, goes from you know running on the synthetic at Turfway uh, in the winter all the way through to the Breeders' Cup Distaff. Uh, just a, a, a amazing campaign, kind of an old school like throwback kind of campaign. She went the whole year. Uh, you know, and then the other stories about the, you know, uh, Mage and uh, winning the Derby for his connections. You know, um, uh, Gustavo Delgado is a, a, a guy that's been around for a long time, had a lot of success uh, down in Venezuela, his native country. Comes through and wins the Derby after Forte was scratched. Uh, you know, the morning of the race, as you as you played uh, Michael Poli's thing earlier, of course. Then Forte, you know, makes his way back and comes all the way back and nearly wins the Belmont uh, against Archangelo, and then. Uh, then of course you get, you always had to get Cody's wish kind of, uh, over the, the whole top of it, you know, I mean, just kind of came back, uh, on Derby day, uh, with Cody Dorman in attendance, uh, you know, down there in the winter circle, it's such a cool moment for, for him, for little Cody and his family to be there. Uh, then he goes on and on and runs, runs the Met mile. Uh, he's up in Saratoga, doesn't win in Saratoga, but, uh, then comes back and, of course, wins the the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and then uh, little Cody passes away just a few days later. Um, as the, you know, personally speaking, as the president of the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters, we we hosted sort of Team Cody's Wish as one of our award winners this year, and uh, the Dormans, including Cody Dorman, were were there at the Altadena Country Club in in out in California, and it was just great to have them there. And, Bill Mott came and uh, Mike Salito, who was Junior Alvarado's agent, he was there. And all the people from Godolphin uh, were there. A lot of those guys were there. It was just a, a, an amazing night and, you know, celebrating in a, a really an amazing story. You know, you and I talk about uh, great stories in the game. I mean, n- n- <laughs> there hadn't been a story that good in a long time. And 
and that did that did resonate i think with the with the general public and and did you know get some national attention on you know the today show and other uh, national uh, news broadcasts it was just yep. great stuff yeah, talking yeah. with Tom Law, who is the, as you just mentioned, the president of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters Association, the managing editor with ST Publishing. Um, and when you talk about Cody's wish, you can't help but talk about the connections and not just Cody Dorman and his parents and what they did and what they brought to the sport the past couple of years, really. But how about the year the Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott has had and what he's done with with not the same number of starters as somebody, let's say, a Brad Cox or a Steve Asmussen, but what he has accomplished, the big races that he has won, um, Junior Alvarado, and what he accomplished with, with that with that connection with Bill Ma. I mean, just incredible storylines there, yeah. too, and, and good people. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we're blessed, I mean, at Saratoga to do the special and to kind of get to interact with some of these guys uh, every summer. Uh, day in, day out, get to see them kind of do their job. And uh, Bill Mott's always been somebody that I've admired for a long time, you know, going all the way back to, you know, the the days of theatrical and, you know, some of the really good horses he had with uh, Alan Paulson, of course, Cigar, and, and uh, you know, the Firestone horses prior to that. And just watching him work and, and trying to <laughs> get inside his brain a little bit, uh, you know, barely scratching the surface i think uh is amazing and i mean he's just uh he, he's a great horseman um you know he's 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 softened uh i guess a little bit over the years and his dealings with the media you know like i can remember being very yeah. intimidated by him uh yeah. way back when uh having to interview him and and i don't really feel that way anymore i mean he still makes you earn it uh which is fun i think and you, and you should <laughs> but you better be prepared when you go talk to him but uh yeah, his horsemanship and his horses always look great. And you go out and watch him train in the morning. He's got his own style and he's got his own thing. He's not there to to, to yuck it up on the rail and drink coffee and, and do whatever. He's there to train his horses, trying to win races, trying to maximize uh, everything he can out of those horses. Um, and and you look at at how well he's done across all divisions. I mean, he's just a, he can train. He's got warlike goddess that runs long on the grass and he wins the the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies with just FYI, um, you know, and he trains elite power and Cody's Wish who are, you know, great sprinters, middle distance type horses. Um, just an amazing year um, for him, you know, and, he, and he's, he's still going, you know, it's not like he's, uh, it's not like he's wrapping up by any means. So he's probably on his way to another Eclipse Award. I mean, which is, which is pretty cool to think, you know, he's got his first ones back in the nineties. And now here he goes again uh, in the, you know, mid-2020s almost. Um, Still going strong. Still got a real good stable of horses, real good loyal um, group of owners, and great help. You know, he's got some people that have worked for him for a long time, and I think that you look at a lot of the guys that are really good, uh, that's one common denominator that they do have. You mentioned the help um, and, and some great stories out there, you know. Uh, guys like Brad Cox and, and Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown. You look at these guys have guys that have worked with them for like a long time. Um, you know, especially especially like Mont and Pletcher. They have guys that guys, men and women that have worked for them for a long time, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, Tom, that I'll bring up with Dale and Tim when they join me for I Ask, They Answer in the final segment of the show today. And if if horse racing had a – a comeback player of the year award, so to speak. 
Um, who's more deserving, Javier Castellano or Rick Dutrow? Huh. Wow. I mean, that's a that's a good one. Um, you know, <laughs> I think uh, Javier. I mean, just to uh, again to be around him and to to see what it means um, to him, what what he was able to accomplish this year. Uh, he takes nothing for granted, and he he works hard at his at his craft, and he always has um, uh, just amazing things this year. You know, to win his what sixth Travers, um, and and you know winning the Derby and then the Belmont. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty pretty hard to pretty hard to to top those two things. But then you look at uh, at Rick, um, you know, basically banned from the game for ten years. Um, and he's back, you know, <laughs> like looking at the, looking at the entries today at Santa Anita, he's got a horse entered in the, there's a turf sprint, uh, a graded stakes, a graded turf sprint. He's, he's on the eight horse on the AEs list, but he's entered out there. I'm like, Rick Dutro's back, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and of course wins the Breeders' Cup Classic with White Abario. He's the one horse I don't think we did mention in our year in review, or at least I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 sell that horse short. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what he did to, to win the Whitney and then the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, pretty amazing year. So that that's a that's a toss up, but I'm gonna I'll lean to Javier. I think just because uh, you know he did it on the the very biggest stages in the in the Derby, and and I know how hard that is for those guys to get those mounts and. Not only to get the mounts, but then to be able to win those races is very, very tar- very, very hard. Yeah, I'll give you one more moment that stands out to me, and, and I'll let you elaborate on this a little bit since you, you were there at Saratoga. And we have about uh, two and a half minutes left here, so we won't make it lengthy. But um, the test stakes and what occurred with Maple Leaf Mel, who was going to win yeah. that race, pretty mischievous, uh, ends up winning the race after uh, Maple Leaf Mel had fallen right before the wire um and the the classy move by brendan walsh to bring yeah. the the garland of flowers over to the barn of maple leaf mill afterwards and melanie giddings um w- what a wonderful storyline that yeah. was and i don't want that to get overlooked because brendan walsh had a tremendous year winning the kentucky oaks and then proved how classy a guy he was by doing something like that afterwards yeah those guys i mean i think that's the story that to me that's what came out of of that whole ordeal, you know, very tragic uh, situation and, and really how they handled it immediately. Godolphin, the guys from Godolphin, Dan pride and Michael Banahan yes. and Brendan were there and they're just kind of like, no, no, we're not, it was there. They're like, we're not doing, we can't do a winter circle presentation, yep. you know? I mean, and, and that's a major, major race, uh, you know, and, and, and they understood the moment and uh, just the way that they handled it. I mean, you never want a situation like that to happen, but if you do, you'd want guys like that kind of on the other end of the of the spectrum to have to handle it, and they and they just did it absolutely perfect, um, and and just great ambassadors for our game. We're really lucky to have guys like that uh, involved in our sport for sure, and I'm, I'm I am I'm glad that you brought that up for sure. Yep. That was a amazing moment, yeah. Yeah, again, these are the positive things that took place in thoroughbred racing this year. And trust me, the positives always outweigh the negatives. We just don't always hear about all of the positive things that go on in in the industry. And it's like that with every sport, right? The positive storylines, you know, they don't sell. They're not sexy. They're not going to make for good clickbait. But let me tell you, those are the stories that really matter. Absolutely. You know, and one, another positive was, was 
on a personal note, Sean Clancy, uh, who I work with at the special, you know, him winning a grade one at Saratoga was, uh, yeah. was amazing. You know, it, I, I was like, that was one of my favorite moments of, of 2023, just cause I was there, you know, I've got to see him run horses at Saratoga over the years and deal with the frustrations and trying to win. And he finally, you know, he finally broke through and did, and that was just amazing. And just one of the, one of the many, many uh, real positive stories in our sport for sure. Yep. Yeah. So awesome. Tom Law. Tom, been a, a delight to catch up with you. It's always fun to have you here on the program, and uh, I hope to see you again soon. And all the best in the new year, my friend. Absolutely, Mike. We go way, way back. Anytime. It'll be fun. All right. You got it, buddy. Tom Law here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Yeah, Tom and I go all the way back to Thoroughbred Times days. My goodness. That was, I told you, this is my 20th year on radio. Thoroughbred Times was before, well before that. Um, and really cool guy. And really does a fantastic job the entire team with sd publishing is first class and that was a fun look back at some of the top moments of 2023 all right when i come back you're going to hear from jockey junior alvarado who joined me right after his tremendous breeders cup winning both the juvenile phillies and the breeders cup dirt mile aboard cody's wish we'll talk to him next this is coming up after the short commercial break and your legends of the turf on Saturday afternoon, August 31st, 1955, at Washington Park in the suburbs of the Windy City, Chicago, on the shores of Lake Michigan, two giants of the world of thoroughbred racing were about to square off in a rubber match, as it were. Each had defeated the other during the year, and the arguments amongst fans and horsemen alike had been raging all year long as to which one indeed was the best, Nashua or Swaps. Nashua, the son of Nazrula, was racing in the colors of Belair Stud, was conditioned by the venerable Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons and had the crafty, wily, hard-nosed, heady Eddie Arcaro in the saddle. Swaps, that year's Kentucky Derby winner in which he whipped Nashua, by the way, was owned by Rex Ellsworth, trained by Mish Tenney, and had the services of Willie Shoemaker as his reinsman. The two stellar stalwarts were equally weighted and the distance was one and one quarter miles. The strategy was put forth in the paddock as follows. Fitzsimmons told Arcaro to, quote, Keep the other horse busy all the way and let the best horse win, unquote. Tenney told Shoemaker, quote, save a little horse at all times and run when you have to. Ride him as you always have, unquote. The track surface at Washington that day was on the slow side and drying out, and that, as it turned out, was most probably a key factor in the race itself. Nashua, breaking from post two, went away very quickly under Salvador, urging from Arcaro and assumed an early lead. Swaps, breaking from post four, was hustled up by Shoemaker, who had, would have none of Arcaro's attempted ploy, and they were both soon side by side. They were right together with Nashua holding the slightest of leads as they went to first quarter in 23 flat, the half in 46 flat, and the first six panels in 110 and 2. On down the backside and on into the turn, they remained exactly the same. Between the three-eighths pole and the quarter pole, smack in the middle of the turn, it appeared Swaps was ready to make his big move. As they came off the top of the turn to the straight, the wily Arcaro took Nashua out off the rail just a little bit to find a more solid footing, and Shoemaker had a choice to make, to either drop down to the fence where the going was deep and tiring, or to go to the overland route. Schumacher opted to take his mount out and around, if indeed he could. Well, by this time, Nashua had opened a clear lead and Swaps was a beaten horse. Nashua continued to increase his margin through the final three sixteenths to ultimately cross the wire, a six and a half length winner in a final time of 204 and one in the deep going. The key to the race was, without any shadow of the doubt, 
the impeccable strategy of Arcaro, who lived up to the fullest his reputation as a master rangsman and the affectionate moniker of Eddie Eddie. Every time Shoemaker had let Swaps put a notch on the backside and into the far turn, Arcaro had responded in kind with Nashua, and that stratagem on the turn when forcing Swaps out some was the work of a true artist in the saddle. After the race, Shoemaker said he felt Swaps did not take a liking to the track condition and surface, and it was later learned that his right foreleg, on the foot of which he wore a protective leather pad between frog and shoe, had gone lame. Nevertheless, the score had been settled the way it should have been, on the racetrack, against each other. August 31st, 1955, Washington Park in the Windy City. A great moment in thoroughbred racing. This is HRRN. Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafards Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at Stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at Stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir, Point of Entry, is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Just FYI, Tamara to the inside now has given way. It is just FYI in front from Jody's Pride and Candy on the outside. Tamara is back to fourth. Just FYI, Jody's Pride and on the outside. Candy, here is the wire. Just FYI, she's a champ. double dose of the announcer Larry Colmas here on this Saturday morning looking back on a couple top moments from the Breeders' Cup this year just FYI winning the juvenile Phillies and Cody's wish defending his title in the Breeders' Cup dirt mile in dramatic fashion and that was a special moment and a moment that very well could lead to Cody's wish being voted horse of the year here in 2023 both of those runners ridden by Jackie Jr. Alvarado, who had a, a tremendous year this past season, but he's been one of the top jockeys in the game for many, many years. And now that partnership with Bill Mott is allowing everything to flourish for Junior, and it's really clicking on all cylinders. And Junior took time 
to visit with me for an extended conversation after the Breeders' Cup. We looked back on those two moments, and he looked ahead to 2024 in some ways when he talked about the end of the year and which horse should get the Eclipse Award as Horse of the Year. He defended his player, if you will, and here's what Junior had to say about that moment aboard Cody's Wish when he finally crossed the finish line first in the dirt mile. You know, I got home um, to ride Sunday here in, in, in New York, and, and, you know, right after the races, I went back home, and all I did all night was after after having dinner, just, you know, I record the races, and I just keep watching it over and over. And, yes, I mean, there wasn't one time that I didn't watch it without getting those goosebumps, and it was just, just unbelievable. It was just an unbelievable race, and, and everything around, just on a beautiful story, and and just like like I said, for me, it's something like I've never ever like have like nothing close have come something like 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 with like riding this horse course, which is just a whole different experience for me. And and I'm just to be honest, just glad that I was part of it. It was special. It's been special for two years in thoroughbred racing. And if folks haven't heard yet, it was the day after the Breeders' Cup that. Cody Dorman, the the young boy who Cody's Wish is named for, passed away after that Breeders' Cup. And that is sad. But, you know, Cody gave all of us such wonderful joy over the past couple of years in thoroughbred racing when it seemed like there was a lot of negative news coming out about the sport. The one positive you could rely on each and every year the past couple seasons was Cody Dorman. And uh, he certainly made it special for everybody. Yes, you know, like I said before, I was just glad to be part of it, and and and, and yes, I mean, at, at one point when I was riding the horse, I, I I thought I was the one like you know trying to win the race to make him happy. But to be honest, I just think he was the whole way around the whole time. He was his presence and his connection with this horse, which is making us like happy and you know have something to look forward and and just kind of teaching us a, a, a lesson in life and, and and you know I'm just like I say we're just an unbelievable right Junior you're a father so I can imagine that as you were watching the journey that Cody Dorman and his family took us all on the past couple of seasons that for you from the outside looking in there it, it had to be it had to be very special and it had to be very emotional for you when when you got the news about Cody Dorman um, but as a father, man, you, you just realize this goes far beyond horse racing, doesn't it? Yes, Mike, exactly. It goes, it goes beyond what we can even explain. I mean, just something unbelievable. And, and, and you know, I got to, to at least, since I was leaving it, to teach my kids appreciation, show more love and and. and you know, try to understand so many things that probably I wouldn't be able to explain it if I wasn't in this situation. And and like I said, I'm just you know, he just probably came to to our lives too, and 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 teach us a good lesson, and and you know, show us how to have more love for for another. And and like I said, I mean, it wasn't just me riding a horse. We just way more than that. That that, that like you know, the the days goes on that I start realizing even more. Well, let's talk about the race itself here for a few minutes because Cody's wish was at the back of the pack as he customarily tends to be. He made that run, but National Treasure, he didn't quit. That horse was all heart, and Cody had to pull on all of his class to get the victory. Take me through the race. 
you know, like always, you know, he he broke a little. He broke better actually than than the last couple of times. You know, he jumped out of there, but he's a, such a big horse, and and you know, it took him a little bit, like four, five, six tries to get his feet under. You know, get comfortable. Then you know, when we're turning in the backside, I knew, I knew I had the horse. Now it was a matter of time. Like if it, the two turns was gonna, like you know, like be a problem for for us. You know, that was the only my only concern at at, at that time. But I knew he was traveling good. I knew I was gonna have that the the Cody that I always have underneath me. And you know, I just had to be just focused and, and ride him, trust him. And you know, at the same time, I was paying attention, trying to feel the pace, trying to look at the horses in front. And you know, right when he switched lead and the half a little before the half of my pole, I mean, he started like pulling, like he knew, you know, he that's when he let me know that, like, I'm ready. I'm whenever you're ready, I'm ready. So, you know, you start like letting it go little by little, start getting close to the pace, to the horses in front. And and there was this little time, probably a little before the. The 516 pole when I could go outside of Skip's lunch talking, and then I, I take a pick at uh, the horse in front National Treasure, and I saw Flavian Pratt kind of like sitting chill. And even though I knew we were going, they were going quick, he was sitting so comfortable that I feel like he's going to have horse at the end. Like, I, I cannot take a chance to try to go around Skip's lunch talking because I probably would, I'm not going to be able to, to probably get there on time. So let me try to cut the corner right here and 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 like I said, I mean, I knew I had the horse to do that, and and and, and you know, Cody wish you know he helped me to get through that hole right there, and then tip him out, and you know he keep grinding and grinding, and you know right right when I thought we were gonna go by, I don't know when that horse came out, I don't know like my horse, is such a like tough horse, very tough horse. He has like too much character in the in the mornings. He's like to pull. He, you know, he doesn't like many people around the barn. He will try to bite. You know, a very strong character. So I don't know when the national treasure came out. If he just kind of start leaning his body in it, and then lose momentum forward. And you know, at that point, I'm just trying to throw the reins at him. Like, finish the job. We're already in front. I don't, I don't want no fight. I don't want none of that. I, I just want to get to the wire first. And and. You know, like I say, it could be part of that a little bit of him being, being the mean horse that he always was. And, and But, you know, just glad that, they, you know, I knew we got the buff. I knew I wasn't from, but I knew at the same time, you know, they might got to be a, a claim foul or something similar. You knew you knew you had your nose in front? Yes, yes. I knew I knew I, we, we got it done because, like I said, I, mean, he, he, I don't think he wasn't going to let the other horse go by again, you know, unless I let him, but... You know, while I was riding, and he he was going to keep his head in front for sure. I was talking earlier in the show about horse of the year and which horses now have after the Breeders' Cup, which horses now have their hat in the ring, at least in terms of being in the conversation. And I think when you look at Cody's wish and what he did here in 2023, four wins from five starts. His only blemish coming in that mile and an eighth Grade One Whitney at Saratoga. Do you feel? That Cody's wish deserves consideration for Horse of the Year. I mean, for me, I don't think it's only consideration. I mean, I think he, he, I mean, not because I was writing it, but he had done everything. Like this year, like you know, the only, you know, race they didn't run good. You know, we knew he, he, we were just stretching him out. We were doing an experiment, and you know, he got beat by a horse like Wyabari, who won the British Cup Classic. But at the same time, you know, like when we, when we went in the Mad Mile. You know, Wyabari wasn't even a, a, a rival for for Cody's wish. You know, so 
I mean, he has to be up there for sure. And, and, and then if you put your heart a little bit into that beautiful story, everything that, that, that happened with Cody's wish, I mean, he, he, he should be tough, like, for horse of the year. No, I would agree. Junior Alvarado here on the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on this Saturday morning. Uh, Junior, let's talk about what happened on Friday. I don't think there's any doubt that just FYI is going to be the champion two-year-old filly this year. And boy, was she special in that Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Yes, Mike. I mean, she was, she was extraordinary. You know, I'll have to say she came out of that gate that day running like I was hoping she would since we had a overcome the the that outside pose and I mean she did all that and you know he helped me to kind of save a little bit of ground in, in the first turn you know probably you know for what, where we were you know we did save a lot of ground and and put ourselves in a, in a good spot the whole way around and and I mean I, I, I couldn't be more excited when when we passed the, the fire pole you know I knew I had him you know the way my feeling was traveling so comfortably so I was just trying to buy my time and and just way a little longer, just because I knew we were moving along pretty good. So I just had to kind of like wait to make sure she had, she had a good kick at the end. But I mean, she she did run unbelievable race. Like you know, she she's been very special since since you know probably two three weeks before the Saratoga meet started. I remember I got on her and 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 I mean she did show me that she was very very talented. Yeah, she's really good, and you get the sense that she's only going to continue to improve. And as the distances get longer, Junior, she's by Justify out of a street cry mare. You wouldn't expect that the longer distances will be an issue for her. I think, you know, the more distance, the better she'll get. And, and, and like you say, I think, you know, with Bill, the way he trains the horses, uh, the way they prepare, I think we, we, we got to the British Cup just, just because just pure talent. You know, I, I wouldn't think that because he, he – I was sure that he didn't never crank her up for for her to win for first time out. She, I, we knew she did that a talent. Then the second time when she won in the free set, you know, with a very sloppy track, same thing. I just think he she just won out of talent there. You know, that we might have screwed up the, the the screw a little bit more in the previous cup since we we're already there. But you know, I'm pretty sure there's more there. And 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 you know, when she keep you know now for next year, I mean, we we, we should have a, a a very nice and tough feeling on, on just FYI. You talked about the trip you got with Cody's Wish and that stretch battle, and you knew you won that one. You didn't have to sweat this one out at the finish, but just FYI was breaking from post position number 12, so you had to overcome the outside post in that field. Um, did you get the trip you thought you were going to get with her? You know, I, I thought I, I needed to do something to save around the first part a little bit. I couldn't hang, be hang, hang out too wide and expect to win because that wasn't going to happen. You know, they're very good feeling talent feeling in the race so i was like i mean either we have to make break very good or we might have to break a little slow to be able to to you know to drop in and 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 save some ground but you know for me i was expecting her broke that the way she did and and yeah that was kind of my plan you know i was planning to be probably third or four to be honest but i i, I didn't think some other horses they got to speed shows show more speed than what they should or, or, or i don't know if it might really was just too good that the first part of the race, you use faster than them, and and you know put myself right there second the whole way. But yeah, it was something similar to what I was looking for, to be honest. There have been some incredible jockey trainer combinations in our sport over the years, and right now that Bill Mott Jr. Alvarado combination is as hot as it gets. Tell me about that relationship. 
Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, I just think, you know, since he's confident, you know, give me the opportunity, you know, and, and I'm able to deliver at the same time, you know, just, it, it, this has been growing for years, you know, I've been writing for Billy Moff for over 11 years, and, 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 you know, I just think, you know, he knows how I like to ride the horses, I know how he likes to train, I know what he's looking for in, 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 on those horses, and, you know, and at the same time, you know, like, I, you know, make many mistakes through my career riding his horses, and, you know, he just put me back and give me a chance to redeem myself. So I just think when he does that, for me, every time that I have to make a decision in the race, most likely I'm going to make the right decision because I don't have to be worried. I don't have to double-guess myself and what should I do? What should, what should I, you know, and those tough spots. So normally, you know, I think that just he's been, he's been actually building, building, building me up, you know, like then – you know, like I said, when I come to those big races, I always feel 100% confident. I don't get, I don't feel any pressure from him. He barely tells me what to do. He might give me a hint. Remember, he, he likes to go out. Maybe he likes to lean in, just little stuff like that. But he really ne- never tells me how to ride the horses. And, and, and like you said, I mean, I just think he's just been building up since, you know, I've been working with him for the past 11 years. Well, you're no stranger to winning big races either. You've been winning greatest stakes races pretty much since you started riding, and now you've, you're closing in on another milestone, 2,100 career wins. You're not far away from that mark. You don't win that many races without having some talent, Junior, but do you think that it, it's fair to say that you might be even better at this point in your career than you, you have been at any point? Yes, for sure, 100%. I just think, you know, right now I feel more seasoning. And, and like I said, I mean, I just think, you know, I, I, I try to, to have a good connection every time I ride a horse. You just know getting on the horse and just riding. You know, I try to to, to understand the horse too. And, and, and like I say, and then when, when you, I think when you go to ride big races, what that helps is like those horses are very smart. And then when you get the connection with them, it always helps a little bit to 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 get there to the wire you get the most of them so but yeah definitely you know just through the years and you know riding with a lot of good jockeys you know this is i think one of those sport and business where you i don't think you stop learning you know every day there is a chance for you to learn something and 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 like i say for me i always i'm kind of like perfectionist i like to keep learning try to keep doing things better if i can so i think that 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 is one of my my main key parts you know, my success right now. Junior, always a delight to hear your voice and catch up here on the program. Congratulations on all your success and to you and to your entire family. Keep it rolling, my friend. Let's let's make this even bigger this fall and into 2024. Yes, sir. Well, thank you again, you know, for, for having me. And, 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 yes, we'll continue working hard and, and, you know, keep giving all we can. Thanks, brother. Junior Alvarado here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fantastic. And I tell you all the time, every time Junior appears on the show, one of racing's real good guys, great family man, and somebody who works his tail off to be as good as he can possibly be. And boy, is that paying dividends for him right now. All right, when I come back, I'll get you ready for a loaded second hour of the program. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, 
advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita, so come join the fun as we move into the new year. First post time Saturday, Sunday, and Monday is at 12 noon, with admission gates opening at 10 a.m. Ring in the new year with us on Monday, and you can enjoy great racing along with $1 beers and sodas, as well as $2 hot dogs. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum. If no one selects six winners, there is a carryover to the next racing day, Additionally, our popular all-turf pick three is back with a $3 minimum showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 minimum trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Bring the kids. Our infield winter family fun zone is back this weekend. And don't forget to join the party on Fridays with free parking and admission along with $3 beers and $5 margaritas. First post time is at 12 noon. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They turn for home a quarter mile to go in the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge Cup, presented by Dick Sienna. And here's a loose princess coming after Maj and Mission of Joy tries to find room between that pair. Maj has the lead. Mission of Joy second, a loose princess third. Lindy is up to fourth and coming late. Maj still the leader. Mission of Joy, then Lindy. Maj, Lindy running on. Maj, Lindy trying. Here's the wire. Maj takes it by a neck for O'Shane Murphy and Godolphin in one minute, 48.06 seconds. Big win for Maj, big win for O'Sheen Murphy as well. In the QE2 Challenge Cup, you just heard Kurt Becker with the call. You'll hear Kurt later in the show with his weekly stroll through racing history. Of course, that race taking place at Keeneland. You're going to hear from Usheen Murphy coming up in a few minutes as well. He's set to join us shortly after 9 o'clock Eastern. He's literally galloping a horse at Gulfstream Park right now. And as soon as he gets off the horse, he will be calling into our studios. And you will hear from Usheen. And he'll talk about his decision 
to ride at Gulfstream Park, the reasons behind that decision, what he wants to accomplish, where he thinks that move may take him going forward. We'll get a chance to talk to him coming up in just a few minutes. Hour two also includes an interview with California's top jockey, Juan Hernandez. He's going to be with me to look back on his title in the classic meet last year and all the titles he's had this year. He's won the Del Mar title a couple of times. He's just dominated racing in Southern California. He's going to look ahead to that title defense here, which began the day after Christmas, by the way, when the classic meet opened at Santa Anita. So I'll get a chance to talk to Juan Hernandez. That's an interview you won't want to miss coming up at 935 Eastern. 10 o'clock, James Scully takes you on his uh, triple play. He'll give you three races you can keep an eye on later today. Kurt Becker strolled through racing history at 1020. Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin, both with me for I Asked the Answer to wrap up the show at 10.30 Eastern. Before we get to Usheen Murphy here in, in the second hour, I want to take a minute to bring you this month's Kentucky Bread Spotlight, which is presented every month by our friends at the KTA KTOB. And I want to remind you that there is no better time to race and breed in Kentucky than right now with lucrative opportunities, including more than $165 million in combined purse money paid out, which hit an all-time high at Kentucky's five racetracks in 2022, following a previous benchmark of more than $134 million that was set in 2021. How about 113806 That is the average purse per race in Kentucky, which outpaces all other leading racing jurisdictions, including Arkansas, New York, California, and Florida. And it grew by 47% year over year. 8.8, that's the average field size in Kentucky, which is higher than Florida, New York, and California. And don't forget, too, that you can reap the rewards of over $200 million, which has been distributed to Kentucky breeders since 2006. And with purse money soaring, through the KBIF contributing nearly $16 million to eligible breeders and the fullest fields in the country, quality racing year-round. There is clearly no better time to race and breed in the bluegrass. And if you're looking for some recent updates, you can take a look at what Kentucky Breds have done in 2023, winning nearly 70% of all grade one races in the U.S. And with nine winners at this year's Breeders' Cup World Championships, Kentucky Breds now have 249 Breeders' Cup victories. That's more than any other state or country. And Kentucky Breds have also made their presence felt around the world in 2023. The city of Troy was honored as the city of Troy was honored as Cartier's two-year-old Colt of the Year in Europe. And Opera Singer was honored as two-year-old Philly of the year. So breed them, raise them, race them. We all win with Kentucky Breads. I'm back with hour two right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three rolling on on a very busy Saturday morning. The final program of 2023, looking back on the year that was and looking ahead to 2024. That is what this show is all about for you here this morning. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, you missed a lot. You missed Tom Law, the president of the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters Association, talking about some of his top moments that will always stand out to him. Uh, when he looks back on 2023, and you missed Jockey Junior Alvarado, that replay of the conversation we had right after Breeders' Cup with Junior talking about 
the big wins he had in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies and, of course, with Cody's Wish in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. If you missed any of those conversations, all you have to do is head back to our website after we finish up at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can listen to the podcast of this program and all of the shows that we bring your way each and every week here on the network. You can listen to those podcasts at horseracingradio.net, and you can do it on every podcast platform as well. Just type in Horse Racing Radio Network and take us along with you and listen whenever you have a spare moment. Well, the poll question this morning, what racing moment will you remember most in 2023? Gave you a few choices here. The Forte Scratch, the morning of the Kentucky Derby. Jenna Antonucci winning the Belmont and the Travers and making history in those races. Cody's Wish defending his title in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. And then the fourth category is Other. And if you choose that one, please comment and let me know what other moment other than those three you feel is the moment you will remember most in 2023 when you look back on this year. So far, 47% of the vote coming in for Jenna Antonucci winning the Belmont and the Travers. I think that's a good one. 38% for Cody's Wish and only 12% for Forte's Scratch in the Kentucky Derby. A couple of comments here, too. Uh, Billy says Maple Leaf Mel will be the moment he remembers most. That was certainly tragic, but it was a moment in 2023. Um, And uh, another listener chiming in and saying that the Forte scratch was not good. It was very bad PR for the industry. It certainly was thinking that that one, that choice should be removed from the poll. But I'll tell you why it's in there. It's in there because when you think about the moments that you will remember from this year, not necessarily the races you'll remember. I think those are two different things. You talk about the moment of the year, the race of the year. Those are two separate categories, in my opinion. But the one of the moments of the year was that Forte scratch the morning of the Kentucky Derby. He was the favorite, right? So that's a big moment. And it led to other moments and other conversations and other discussions. Heck, it led to the creation of the National Thoroughbred Alliance by Mike Rapoli, the owner of Forte. It really set him on fire, didn't it? I mean, Mike Rapoli just exploded after that, and he continues to do so. If you follow him on social media, he's continuously posting things about the game, what he would like to see done differently, how he would like to improve the game, how he would like to unite the industry. All positive things, like him or hate him. I think his heart's in the right place. Now it's a matter of whether the industry can move forward and implement some of these changes. Not only the things that Mike Rapoli brings up, but the things that HISA has proposed and the, the national HBPA, their take on things, the horseman side of it. All of these different avenues have to converge and come together for one common goal in the new year. And that's one of the things I'll talk about in just a few minutes after I get a chance to catch up with Usheen Murphy when I talk about my personal New Year's resolutions that I would like to see happen in racing in in 2024. But that's the reason that the Forte scratch from the Derby is part of this poll. It was a moment, a significant moment, maybe the significant moment of 2023. And it came on the heels of a horrific Derby week With all the, the catastrophic injuries that horses were suffering on the racetrack, it led, it led to Churchill Downs moving the remainder of their meat to Ellis Park, if you recall. 
I mean, all of this kind of ties together. So, yeah, that was a, a significant moment here in 2023. Tom in St. Louis says Forte's win in the Florida Derby is his personal moment that he will remember, the heart, the tenacity that he showed. And if you recall, Forte did not get the best of trips that day. He had the outside post position. He came flying at the end to run down Mage and everybody else. But that was a moment. I, I talked with Tom Law in the first hour of the program. And I said, what about Art Collector? Right? You heard from in the very open of the show at 8 o'clock Eastern, we heard a call of Art Collector winning the Pegasus World Cup. Just another part of the huge year for trainer Bill Mott. We lost Art Collector this year. But that moment in January of 2023, one of the moments, or the races, if you will, but one of the moments that it, for people that look back on the game, they're going to remember that moment. It doesn't get the attention that a Cody's Wish is going to get or a elite power defending his title in the Breeders' Cup sprint. How about, you know who gets overlooked in all this? How about Goodnight Olive and what she accomplished? Winning the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare sprint a second time, defending her title. We don't often talk about her. Tom Law brought up idiomatic. Does she get the attention she deserves? There were people thinking that she was going to be in the conversation for Horse of the Year in 2023. I don't think that's going to happen because of the fact that as brilliant as she was, she never faced the boys. And, and that's not to take anything away from her. And what she accomplished here in 2023, she just didn't. She never ran against the boys. Would she have beaten them? Maybe. She was pretty good, but we don't know. I think one win against the boys, and you'd be talking about idiomatic, giving Cody's wish and elite power and whoever else you want to throw into that conversation for horse of the year. I think you'd be talking about idiomatic as maybe the horse to beat in that category because she was that good. And you remember coming into the year, nobody was talking about idiomatic in that division. It was Clarier. It was Nest. Nest was supposed to be the leader in that division. Nest returned in the Shuvie at Saratoga and just dominated, dominated the competition that day. Just dominated the competition. And then after that, wasn't able to get past some of the other competition in there. Some of the other competition in that division. We know Idiomatic took a tour a couple of times. I told you I was going to bring up my thoughts later in the program. I kind of got that early as we wait for Usheen Murphy to get with us here. He is... um, literally galloping a horse, and then we'll call into the studio here momentarily, and we'll get a chance to talk to him about riding here in the U.S. Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer joined me on the program a couple of weeks ago, and here's what he had to say about the industry desperately needing a national PR farm and better marketing moving into the new year. On the national level, uh, very, very concerning. You know, I was there for the courtship, marriage, and divorce of the NTRA and Breeders' Cup. And since that split, we have no national voice. We have no national marketing. 
We have no national PR effort, no crisis communications effort, and, and we've needed that a lot in the last last year or so. I commend Mike Rapoli and Pat Cummings for their efforts with the National Thoroughbred Alliance. Um, you know, we've got to try to do some things differently. We've, we've got to be more attentive to our fans and the better the betters and the handicappers. We've got to do some things on, on fan development. We've got to do a better job on marketing and PR and crisis communication. That is Kentucky Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer. Again, he joined me on the show a couple of weeks ago. You can go back to the website, listen to the full conversation. But it ties into what I was just talking about with the industry here in the United States desperately needing a PR firm to get the positive stories out and, and a better marketing plan. We have no marketing plan. And we haven't for, for – this has been going on for decades. I told you, I started on radio 20 years ago doing horse racing conversation for you. We started the Horse Racing Radio Network, and it seems like since that day in April of 2003, we've been talking about the fact that racing has no clue how to market itself. The game needs better marketing. The game needs to get so many of these positive stories out there in front of the general public, not just the stories when bad things happen in the game. Because I promise you, there is far more good than there is bad. It just doesn't seem that way because we don't hear about all the good storylines. That is, that is what Horse Racing Radio Network and this brand is all about. It's a very positive brand, as those of you listen every week. I love to talk about the positive things happening in the game. Yes, there are negative things that happen. You can't ignore them. It's like that in every sport. But my goodness, so many hardworking people in this game devote their lives to making this sport better, and those stories need to be told. One of those people who makes the game better is jockey Usheen Murphy, who has had so much success on the international stage. He's also a Breeders' Cup winner here in the United States, and now he has moved his tack to Gulfstream Park to compete in South Florida here this winter. He has some goals in mind as to why he made that decision, and now he is with me here on HRRN. Usheen, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate the conversation here. You literally just got done galloping a horse. Is is this what Usheen Murphy is doing in the mornings down there in South Florida now, going knocking on doors, looking for horses to get on? Absolutely. I rode uh, three horses in work this morning um, down the road about an hour from Gulfstream Park, and I'll be back there this afternoon for my four rides. What I want to know is who the heck is going to say no to Usheen Murphy if you come up and say, hey, can I, can I gallop your horse for you? Can I work your horse? With all the success you've had, boy, you talk about a perfect fit. Uh, listen, uh, the trainers have been very welcoming since my arrival here. I only got here about 72 hours ago, and this was my first uh, morning riding track work, and my agent has it all organized, so... I don't actually go around uh, just asking uh, to ride work. It's all uh, set up for me. Uh, I just have to make sure I'm on time. And um, unfortunately, this morning, Mike, I was a few minutes late to your show, and sorry about that. Uh, I got held up riding one horse, but um, thankfully all went well. Oh, completely understandable. You have a job to do. You do it very, very well. What led to this decision to ride at Gulfstream here? So I have huge admiration for some of the American riders, uh, the likes of John Velasquez, Irad Ortiz, Jose Ortiz. Uh, these guys, Junior Alvarado, they've all been riding Tyler Gaffione. 
they've all been riding that golf stream over the last few days, and uh, I'm probably leaving some guys out. Louis Sayers, you know, it really is a, a weighing room full, a jockey room full of stars, and I wanted to get in there and mix with those guys, hopefully learn some things off them, and uh, get some winners on the board if possible, and uh, come out of it a better rider at the end of January. What are some of the most significant differences riding here in the States as opposed to, say, in Europe, for example, Ashin? Well, firstly, the jockeys here sit a lot quieter. They tend to be very stylish. Uh, they are quite balanced and still in the saddling. Obviously, Frankie Victoria, we all are well aware of his uh, success over the last 30-odd years. He copied uh, Angel Cordero with that American style and it's something, obviously, I want to pick up on and, and get better as I get older. And uh, the fact that most of the most, most, of the most valuable races in the world um, are now run, run on dirt. So you have the Saudi Cup worth $20 million, the Dubai World Cup worth $12 million, uh, Breeders' Cup Classic. Now, these are very important races and ones that I hope in years to come I'll be able to compete in. You use the term American style of riding how do you put into words for listeners exactly what the american style is and how the style is different from european riding so most of the tracks here are flat they're all left-handed and uh, the riders tend to be admired for being quite still uh, and being very rhythmical with the horse and using their uh, crop in a very uh, kind of aesthetic uh, way and um, the tracks in Europe are very undulating and the riders tend to have longer stirrups and it's not quite as pretty to the eye. So uh, we all try and tidy ourselves up to be more like uh, John Velasquez or Mike Smith, uh, but it's not easy for those bigger guys, and um, particularly on the more undulating tracks. So for you personally, how much different or how, many, how much improvement do you need to make, Asheen, in your craft in order to be successful competing at the highest levels on dirt? What things need to improve? Uh, uh, Mike, firstly, I need the right horses. I've had one grade one winner on dirt, the Breeders' Cup Disc Staff at Delmar on Marsh Lorraine. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that day uh, I just rode a very simple race. I felt like the pace was on and I took my time. So, you know, the fundamentals don't change. Uh, one has to, a jockey has to engage with their brain and, uh, and work out, you know, how to get the best results. That's the basic thing. And then after that, I suppose, tidying up to, you know, be more aesthetic to the eye, as we've discussed. And the third thing is gait speed. Uh, I've practiced it a lot over the last few years, particularly on my stints to, you know, all these different countries. I've ridden in 20-plus. Uh, countries around the world and even this year I've ridden in 14 so uh, I've practiced a lot getting horses out of the gates uh, in a quick fashion in a balanced way and uh, listen it doesn't happen every time but if you're doing the right things organizing them and uh, being as relaxed as possible you give them a chance to get out quickly talking with international star jockey Usheen Murphy, who is riding at Gulfstream Park, and you heard him talk about the reasons behind that decision. Usheen, is it safe to say that races such as the Kentucky Derby would be on your radar going forward as races that are still on your bucket list you would like to win? The Kentucky Derby is on every jockey's uh, radar. You know, the Triple Crown, uh, the Preakness, the Belmont, they're massive races. Unfortunately, 
they tend to clash with uh, big races in Europe, big group on races. So uh, European jockeys, if they're fortunate enough to partner some U.S. trained animals uh, with elite ability, uh, we tend to dream more about the Breeders' Cup races. If you were to think about some of the top moments that you've experienced, and Oshin, I read through your bio on your website, by the way, and it said that originally when you were a, a child, you really wanted to be a builder, but then you decided, you know what, that's not going to work out. Let me try being a jockey. I can tell you it was the right decision. <laughs> You're very kind, Mike. Uh, listen, uh, I'm in Gulfstream over the next month, and uh, I really want to do well. I'm going to work hard in the mornings. I'm under no illusion how competitive it is down here. The Pegasus is on the 27th of January. It's uh, been, you know, really well mentioned throughout the world. It's developed. It's standing as a really important race, and uh, the ambition would really be to get something with a with a chance in a race like that. So, Mike, uh, I'm fully focused, and I'll work hard over the next few weeks, and let's see what happens. If you were to look back on your career, what are some of the moments that always are going to stand out to you so far? Uh, well, I've had 28 Group 1 winners, and uh, six of them were this year. And, uh, you know, every one of them is important to me for its own, for, in its own uh, way. You know, they've uh, been from Japan uh, to France to Dubai, uh, you know, all over the world. And um, I'd like to win a lot more. You know, the, the jockeys that are on the top of our tongues uh, when we discuss horse racing are the likes of... Uh, Frankie Dettori and uh, Mike Smith and Joel Rosario and Christoph Sumion and all these guys. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a long way to go and many years ahead of me, I hope. So hopefully one day I can achieve something similar to what they've done. Yeah, you're still a young man. Is it 28? Is that your age now, Ashin? Yeah, I don't feel too young, Mike, but uh, I'm 28. <laughs> yep, yep, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you you have plenty more years to to be riding and, and attempting to win races like the Kentucky Derby and the the Pegasus World Cup and all the big races that we have on dirt. And I, I'm so thankful that you took a few minutes to be with me here this morning and really excited to see you do your thing down at Gulfstream Park. Um, tell me about the Fort Lauderdale Stakes later today. You're named on a couple of horses there in the Fort Lauderdale. Talk to me about that race. Yeah, listen, I have four rides there today. Um throughout the card. Uh, my best chance is probably in race three. Uh, I might struggle in the stakes race later on. Um, competitive card, uh, and I need to get a winner on the board. I've had two months so far at Gulfstream for no winners, so um, I'll be keen to try and get a result sooner rather than later, Mike. Uh, it's great to see you here in the States, my friend, and uh, all the best. Safe trip every time you get a leg up. Good luck in this new endeavor, and Happy New Year, my friend. You're gent. Take care, Mike. Thank you. All right, Ushin Murphy here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh, cool guy, right? And yeah, he he very candidly talks about, hey, I need to be better if I'm going to compete in some of these high money, high profile dirt races around the world, not just here in the states. That's why he's here. He's here to learn from guys like John Velasquez, who he mentioned, the Ortiz brothers, Junior Alvarado, Tyler Gaffalione. And I thought it was interesting when I asked him about the American styles. How does he describe that? And he talked about they're more rhythmic. They're, they're quieter on a horse. All of those kinds of things that you don't think about unless you're in that profession. If you're a professional jockey, you notice it. But it's really 
Great stuff there from Usheen Murphy. And my thanks to him for taking a few minutes to be with us here this morning on a very busy morning for him as he prepares to ride several races on that program at Gulfstream Park later today. All right, coming up next, uh, after the short commercial break, I'm back with a few more thoughts on some of the things that racing can do in 2024. And then Juan Hernandez set to join me at 9.35 Eastern time. California's top jock will get a chance to look back on his big year in 2023 and look ahead to 2024. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race the Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Sucky's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the far outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is going to be clear. And going to take the rear to sprint by a widening margin. Five, five, all of you to get 875 when it's time to paint the fences and barns, think Farm Paint. At Farm Paint, you get the industry's best coatings and paints factory direct at low, low prices. Farm Paint is your source for quality paints, roof coatings, dustless arena footings, and more. You can purchase online or drop into a Farm Paint store near you with locations in Heart of Bluegrass Country at 700 Phillips Lane in Lexington, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, and Sandusky, Ohio. Buy factory direct and save at farmpaint.com. That's farmpaint.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They head for home. Heroes tribute between horses. Keats battling at the rail. Harlan's Holiday only a neck off the lead, and now he takes over the lead. It is Harlan's Holiday, three quarters of a length. Heroes tribute races in second. Keats is back to third. Then Windsor Castle, and Harlan's Holiday is straight and strong in the Don Handicap. He's two lengths in front. Heroes tribute is second. They come to the wire. Here he is again. Harlan's Holiday. Dick Stopper with the call of the 2003 running of the Don Handicap 20 years ago, won by Harlan's Holiday, who is remembered on this Saturday afternoon with the Harlan's Holiday Stakes coming up at Gulfstream later this afternoon. That is race number 10 on the program. Another full field set to go to the post in that race, led by morning line favorite O'Connor for Safi Joseph Jr., who is 5-2 on the morning line. Will be ridden by Tyler Gaffalione coming out of that win in the grade two Faya at Keeneland on October 28th. He's won just that one race here in 2023, hoping to wrap up the year with a second victory from seven starts this year. Um, that race, by the way, the Harlan's Holiday may or may not, a little bit of a spoiler alert for you, may or may not be part of James Scully's 
Twin Spires Triple Play coming up at 10 o'clock Eastern. That is one race I can promise you that he wants to talk about here today. So it will be part of that conversation, those three races that you can keep an eye on and bet at Twin Spires later this afternoon. Looking forward to that at 10 Eastern. But coming up in the next segment, you're going to hear from jockey Juan Hernandez who has just dominated racing in Southern California over the past year. You're going to get a chance to hear from him looking back on 2023 and talking about defending his title in the Santa Anita Classic Meet, which began the day after Christmas with more than 30,000 people on hand for that opening day card. Uh, um, Just sensational, sensational attendance, great wagering. It was a good program, too, and uh, it led to a lot of very positive things. In the previous segment, as we were awaiting Ashin. I kind of started to get into some of the thoughts that I have looking ahead to 2024 with the industry and coming at it from a, a public relations marketing perspective. You heard from Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer and the comments that he made about that and how the industry desperately needs to come up with a plan in that respect. And I couldn't agree more. I think that when you start looking at some of the issues and the things that are facing thoroughbred racing right now, a a strong marketing plan, and maybe even uh, more importantly, a strong PR firm with a crisis management team to get some of the positive storylines out there. And when bad things happen, which they're going to, happens in every sport. It's not just racing. But when bad things happen, to be able to have somebody that can come to to the podium, if you will, and say, Hey, listen, that's unacceptable. Horses dying on the racetrack is unacceptable. We need to do better. And here is what we are doing to get better with this. Here are the things that we are doing. There are so many people working so hard in the game to alleviate those types of situations. Here's what we're doing. We're not just sitting around saying, oh, it's okay. It's fine. I think that A lot of times when you see a story that's out there in the mainstream media, whether it be on the Today Show or it be on uh, CBS This Morning or it be on any of these, uh, CNN, whatever news outlet you want to pick, a mainstream news outlet, and you see them talk about the issues that racing is facing, it often centers on the fact that there are several catastrophic injuries that take place in thoroughbred racing. But it never talks about the flip side of that and the things that the sport is doing, the measures that we are taking, which are significant to try to minimize, if not alleviate and eliminate those types of things. Injuries are a part of sports, any sport. Unfortunately, with thoroughbred racing, when it happens with a racehorse, a lot of times it is a catastrophic injury and the horse cannot be saved. That is the big difference. Also, in other sports, the athletes are willing participants. Horses don't have a voice. They don't have the choice to say, yeah, put me in, coach. I want to play today. I want to race today. That's not what this, and I think that's where so many people come at the sport and say, it needs to be abolished. It needs to be shut down. But there are so many things being done by so many people behind the scenes in this game. And that's that's to me where if you have a PR firm, a crisis management team, they come out and they say, yeah, unacceptable. You're right. This can't happen. But here, 
It's not going to happen in five years, in three years, in one year. This is our goal. This is our timeline for making the sport better, making the sport safer. And keep in mind, it's not just about the horses. It's about the human participants too. How about the jockeys? Every time a horse falls, whether it's catastrophic or not, you have a human being aboard that horse who then puts their life at risk every single time those jockeys get a leg up. So it's, it's, a, it's not only about the horses, it's about the human participants too and making the sport safer for everybody. And we have made great strides over the past five, six, seven, eight, ten years. Look back on where racing was and how we conduct business now. And I said at the top of the show, if you look back on 2023, 10 years from now, in 2033, and it's my opinion that the sport will be flourishing in 10 years, it's not going away. As much as there are people that want to believe it is, it is not going away. The sport will be strong 10 years from now. might look different. It better look different. Because all of the conversations we've been having here in 2023 are going to lead to productive changes in the way that the industry conducts its business going forward. Marketing, for years, horse racing has never known how to market itself. Our stars, the equine athletes, don't stick around very long. If they're good at three, they're retired. They're off the racetrack. Yeah, sure, you can go see them if you come to Kentucky. You can go see them on the farm, which is really cool. Most of the farm's welcoming for fans to come see the horses after they retire. If they go to old friends, I know Michael Blowen would be the first one to have have the door open for you when you go out there. But you can't market those horses like you can market players in other sports, but you can market the human athletes, right? The Ortiz brothers, Tyler Gaffalione, Junior Alvarado this year, John Velasquez, Mike Smith, all of these guys that have Javier Castellano, All of these men and women, the human side of things, that participate in this game that are stars, you can market them, and they're around for a long time. People can learn to be fans of those particular human beings, those individuals. Trainers, the same thing. Maybe even some owners. There are some colorful owners in the sport. You hear the NFL talk about all of their owners all the time. There are ways to do it, but racing needs to figure that out going forward, and we better figure it out, and I think we will. All right, coming up next, Jackie Juan Hernandez took time to visit with me. Fantastic interview. You're not going to want to miss this one. Juan is such a great guy, works so hard, and that is the reason he's having all of his success. You'll hear from him next. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Horse Racing's Voice. This is HRRN. Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. 
The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit tip.ontarioracing.com to learn more. That's tip.ontarioracing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Be My Sunshine rouse forward to take the lead on the outside. Breath away from between Alpha Bella. They come home for the wire. Be My Sunshine still there. Breath away surging. That's the win photo. It's Be My Sunshine inside. Breath away outside. It's a win picture in the Tropical Oaks in 139 and 4. Be My Sunshine, the three-year-old daughter of Darley Stallion Frosted, won the Tropical Park Oaks at Gulfstream on Saturday, earning an 87 buyer, a victory which makes her your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Frosted, the sire of eight greatest stakes horses in 2023, best among all stallions standing for under $30,000. They include Grade 3 winners Ice Dancing, Frostpoint, and Jasper Crone. Learn more about Frosted and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're at the top of the stretch, and Daddy's Ruby trying to fend off Big Pond, and the California bred is within a length with a furlong left to go. Daddy's Ruby clinging to that lead. Big Pond a length back second. Four more to clearly unhinged in third. Daddy's Ruby, Big Pond trying to get to her. Daddy's Ruby, Big Pond, here's the line. Photo finish! What a thriller in the La Brea. It is so close between Big Pond and Daddy's Ruby. They hit the wire together. Behind them, it was a battle between Royal Spa and clearly unhinged in front of Fast and Shiny. Another crazy photo here at Santa Anita Park. That's Frank Miramati with the call of the Grade 1 La Brea Stakes. It was Daddy's Ruby getting that nose to the wire first, and in doing so, provided jockey Juan Hernandez with one of his 30 graded stakes wins so far in 2023. The 31-year-old native of Veracruz, Mexico, can add to his graded stakes total later today with mounts in both the Grade 2 Joe Hernandez and the Grade 3 Robert Frankel stakes as he looks to defend his title as leading rider at Santa Anita's Classic Meet. And Juan is with me now. Juan, appreciate the visit. Good morning. Good morning. No, thank you for thank you for having me uh, today, my friend. Well, a little bit of a different pr- position for you this meet. You are now the guy with the bullseye on your back. You're the one that the other jockeys have to beat if they want to be leading rider. What's your mindset coming into this year's meet, and how is it a little bit different than a year ago? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm really excited to, to. I'm looking for 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 another great year. You know, we have a really nice year. Uh, it's tough. I mean, uh, it's hard. Uh, looks like uh, people think like it's easy, uh, but no, it's it's hard. But you know, I love my job, and then I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. Uh, everything to keep uh to, to define my, my title and then uh you know i just i'm just going to keep working hard and then uh keep doing what i'm doing you know uh, working hard in the mornings working hard in the afternoons and uh try to be focused all, all the time and uh just try to try to keep riding that nice horses because good horses uh make the good jockeys so 
yeah, hopefully we can have everything together this year again. You wrapped up the title at last year's Classic Meet on April 9th. You, you won 63 races. That was well ahead of the competition. Flavian Pratt was second, way behind you with 31. Frankie DeTore with 26, so it wasn't even close. How special was that leading rider title at last year's meet? It was it was really really special, really uh, really good because you know as a jockey, you always dreaming you always dreaming like to win big races and get some 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 titles being uh, leading uh, riders. And then some of the, uh, the 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 big lead big lead is because uh, Flavian and Frankie they left a little earlier. So that's 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 why the big uh, space between between the races. But you know, uh, I was really happy to ride it with them, and uh, they are really good riders. And uh, you know, I was I always watch them and and try to try to to ride like them. You know, to 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 make a, to be a better rider. So riding with them, with without all the good jockeys, that without uh, with a with a good colony we have. That made you a, a good rider. I've heard athletes yeah. in other sports talk about, you know, competing against the best, and it, it makes you better. Even if they're beating you from time to time, it makes you better. And, and it sounds to me like you kind of feel the same way. Competing against better, maybe not even better jockeys, but really top-notch <laughs> jockeys is going to make you better eventually, Juan. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that makes you better 100% because, you know, when uh when they beat me, when they beat me, I was I was like I come back to the jacks room and watch the replay of the race, and uh, and uh, if I if I uh, if I if I think that I, I do I should do something better, you know I come back and watch the replay and and and, and see what I, what I can do to beat him, you know, and then when I when I beat him, you know it's, it's a really good feeling. So yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that make you that make you uh, that make you better. That make you a good jockey. That uh, uh, that make you uh, that that give you a, give you like a like a feeling like like to uh, to, to beat him. Like so, every race I come out, you know, you see all these all these good jockeys, and I just wanna I just wanna I just wanna beat him. I just wanna win the race. You know, it hasn't just been that title in the classic meet last year, Juan. This year has been a magical year for you. You win Delmar's title in the summer meet and the Bing Crosby meet and then Santa Anita's autumn meet title as well with 24 wins there. Just put into words what this entire year has been like for Juan Hernandez. Uh, It's been a great year. It's been a great year. Uh, You know, uh, we have... The people, I, I, I want to say thanks to the to the owners and, and trainers uh, because they uh, they've been supporting me a lot since I moved here in 2020 because I was riding in San Francisco. So when I moved here, I get a lot of support from from the owners and trainers. And you know what? I, I have a really good agent too. My agent Craig O'Brien, he's really good. He know a lot of people. He know he know his his job. He's been doing this for. I will say like he say like 50 years or something like that. So he knows the business pretty well. And then uh, we're a really good team. We're a really good team together. So he do he do his job and I do and I I do my job and uh, we're 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 being a uh, yeah we 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 had a great year. I mean I was when I moved here 
I know it's gonna be a it's gonna be a top top uh, top colony of jockeys. It's gonna be a top top uh, top top thing to get uh, to get uh, to get right to get good horses. And to be honest, to be honest with you, I wasn't I wasn't expecting to uh, I wasn't expecting winning or do do this this kind of good that I'm doing right now. But I'm really happy. I'm really happy. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep. I, I mean, I do it for my for my family. I do it for myself. And then I'm gonna keep doing this for. For I don't know for for a long time I I I I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope that is the case. And your agent Craig O'Brien, who you talk about, that relationship you have have with him is certainly special. But you know, Craig was retired and was traveling with his wife, doing other things outside of racing. And he gets a phone call one day and says, "Hey, what do you think of coming out of retirement to represent this kid, Juan Hernandez? I I think it's a good move for you." And you're talking about a guy in Craig O'Brien that has represented Hall of Famers like Eddie Delahousse and Gary Stevens, Alex Solis, Corey Nakatani. What do you think he saw in you, Juan, that brought him out of retirement and made him say yes? Uh, I don't know. I will say that that I was winning a lot of races in Golden Gate because uh, before I moved here, I was I was doing I was doing really good in Golden Gate. So I was winning a lot of races over there. I, I had a really good, uh, I had a really good, uh, how you say, like a little, like from the last month. I was at the last before I moved here. The last month, I was doing really good. I was winning a lot of races, kind of, kind of every day of racing. I was winning two or two races. So I think he saw that. I never asked him about it. <laughs> to be honest, I never asked him about it. Uh, why? why it was interesting to take my book, but I always say that, that I was winning a lot of races over there, so maybe that was that was, uh, that was the, the king. <laughs> well, he was quoted in an article earlier this year that was on Pollock Report as saying that Juan is a good person and he is a good rider, and he said that there's no drama surrounding Juan Hernandez. He said you go about your business quietly, respectfully, and as a rider, you really don't seem to have a weakness. You can win on dirt, on turf, going short, or going long. So how do you describe your riding style that's made you so successful? Uh, uh, I want to say it again. The good horse, you know, a good horse, uh, you, just have to, you just have to have a good horse and then pull your horse in a good position to win a to win the race, uh, let him. I, I always try to let him all, all the chance to win the race, not not to have excuse after the race. You know, don't get in trouble. But I don't know. Uh, I like I like I like to ride. I like I like to ride the horses on the lead. I, I love because because you feel like you have the control when you're in the lead. You sometimes you feel the pace. You know, I feel like like you have the control when, when you're in the lead. When you're in the lead yourself, so I like I like I like to, to ride the horses on the lead, but most of my races I always come from behind. So <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's it's tough to say, but like I say, I always try to to to, to have a, a a good break at the gate because when I start 
before before I start when I was a basketball before I start racing, uh, my dad he was a a, a Cora horse jockey, so I, I, I was I I learned I kind of learned first on the Cora horses and then I switched to the thoroughbreds, but you know on Cora horses you have to, you have to have a good break all the time, because on Cora horses a bad break you lost your chances right right away out of the gate. So so back in Mexico they they always told me like hey to try to try to try to have a, a good break at the gate. So I think it's really important I, and then I, I I always always I always keep that in mind, you know, when I'm going to the gate, I always try to, 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 to give my horse a, a good break. Good break at the gate, a clean break and then after that I just I just play I just play the race. But yeah, I, I will say a key it's it's at the gate. I, I think. Yeah, your dad also told you to always be patient, and that's one thing that served you very well over the past several years. And and you said that sometimes you do get really upset if you think that you rode a bad race, but you kind of keep it to yourself. You go back to the jocks room, you watch the replay, and try to figure out what you did wrong and learn from it. Do you learn more, Juan, from the races that you that you didn't win than the races that you did win? Yes, I will say yes because you know when I rode when I rode about race, I came by I, I job with my horse and you know I I still I still the trainer the owner you know what that was a that was a really bad race of me sorry I owe you one and then I came back to the jacks room and I watch I watch I watch my race and I and I I say race the race is already passed. So I used I used try to, to learn from that, and then I turn I turn the page, and then I just I just keep I just keep I just keep going with my next my next uh, rise, and uh, yeah I just I always try to or not just me you know when when another ride is getting in trouble or something, I, I watch I watch what uh what uh why 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 they get in trouble or 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 what 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 else they can they can what else they should do on the race you know and i watch the replay like like the front like like the the front camp like <clears throat> like the front head the camera the front head and and i try to watch the the the, the race and i try not to do that but you know sometimes the horses get in trouble on themselves and that just happens you know you can be you can be you can ride like like 10 races like like perfect, you know, because sometimes, sometimes, sometimes on the race you don't get in trouble, but sometimes the horses in front of you get in trouble. The other jocks get in trouble, and then there's there's nothing that you can do, you know. But yeah, I just I just try to to learn from uh, from my races. Talking with California's top jockey Juan Hernandez here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Juan, later today at Santa Anita, you will be aboard. Uh, turn on the Jets for Phil D'Amato in the grade two Joe Hernandez stakes and Lakota Spirit for trainer Phil D'Amato and the Robert J. Frankel stakes later in the program. Let's talk about those horses for a minute. Turn on the Jets is a horse you've ridden many times. You're very familiar with him. Tell me more about turn on the Jets and riding that downhill turf course. Yes, uh, uh, riding down the hills, hillside, it's really nice, it's really fun. It's tough. It's tough to to ride it, but 
when you get a when you get a lot of ride, when you get a lot of a lot of mounts, you figure it out. But uh, talking about the horse turning the jet, he's a really nice horse. He's 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 really good horse. He's he's honest horse, and it's that kind of horses like they do whatever they want. He's faster the gate, so he can he can he can he can come off the pace or he can go to, to the lead. He's he's really tactical. So he's, he's doing really good. Uh, uh, last time with Delmar, I get second. They beat me, but the horse that the horse that beat me, another horse for field might have beat me, but the horse the winner run really really fast. That was a faster race, you know, faster time, going five furlongs. My horse turned the jets. He run really good. I I I I finished a good second. So I really don't have excuse that day for him, and uh. I worked him last week here in San Anita, and then he worked. He worked. He worked really, really good. So, hopefully, hopefully he can uh, give me a good race today. You, you've also had a lot of success this year on your mount in the Bobby Frankel Stakes. That's Lakota Spirit, another Phil D'Amato trainee, as I mentioned. Different scenario though. You're, you're breaking from the rail. That race is a mile and an eighth on the turf, so a whole different ball game. Tell me about Lakota Spirit and what you're going to have to do from that inside post to be successful. Uh, you know what? I, I, she's uh, she's a nice filly too, and uh, you know, from the rail, from the rail, I just I'm just going to, like I said, I'm just going to try to to have a, a clean clean break at the gate and stay in the rail the the longest that I can. I want I'm just going to try to save ground. And uh, she's tactical too. She come off the pace, so I'm gonna save ground and then around the three A's to the three A's to the cutoff. I'm gonna start fi- figuring out where uh, where where to make my move. You know, to see if there's some room inside or that I have to go around. But she's really professional too. I think I think last time I I, I was in the rail too. So I, uh, I I I come on the rail. She 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 split horses. So yeah, I'm just gonna try to to save ground and uh, and try to to have a, a good trip out of the end. Juan Hernandez looking to continue that magical year here in 2023. 2,561 wins to his credit. He'll look to add to that total later today at Santa Anita. Juan, listen, I really appreciate the time. Congratulations on all your success and best wishes for a safe and healthy um, 2024 and safe trip every time you get a leg up, my friend. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and uh, I wish you I wish you the same. Hopefully, you can have uh, another uh, great year on your on your radio show, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, I can enjoy your radio show again. Thank you, Juan. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. All right, Juan Hernandez here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. When I come back, I'll take a look at a couple historical dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend, and I'll get you ready for hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. 
Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita, so come join the fun as we move into the new year. First post time Saturday, Sunday, and Monday is at 12 noon, with admission gates opening at 10 a.m. Ring in the new year with us on Monday, and you can enjoy great racing along with $1 beers and sodas, as well as $2 hot dogs. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum. If no one selects six winners, there is a carryover to the next racing day, Additionally, our popular all-turf pick three is back with a $3 minimum showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 minimum trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Bring the kids. Our infield winter family fun zone is back this weekend. And don't forget to join the party on Fridays with free parking and admission along with $3 beers and $5 margaritas. First post time is at 12 noon. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Want to get the latest HRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, a final update on today's poll question, at least through the first two hours of the show. You can keep the comments coming and keep the votes coming in all the way through 11 a.m. Eastern when I finish up for you here this morning. Which racing moment will you remember most in 2023? That's posted right now on our Twitter page at HRRN and Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. Uh, 50% of you now saying it is Cody's wish winning the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Early on, it was Jenna Antonucci winning the Belmont and the Travers. But uh, 50% of you saying it is Cody's wish winning the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. That is the moment you will remember most about 2023. And if you don't do social media, you can also email the program, Mike at horseracingradio.net. Heedley Bell of Millridge had a post on his Twitter page just a short time ago, 29 minutes ago, and it ties in beautifully with what I've been talking about throughout the morning. He said, as an industry, we are not broken. We are in the process of tweaking, polishing, and adapting to be relevant. He went on to say, appreciate it is generational and encourage their leadership, the future. And I think that that's a wonderful point that Healy brings up. And I've been saying it throughout the morning. Horse racing is not broken. 
there was so much good about the game of thoroughbred racing. Unfortunately, it's the bad stuff that often overshadows the good. And uh, we'll see how things progress into 2024. I usually take a look at a couple dates in racing history in this segment. Not a lot of time to do that for you here this morning. I hope you enjoyed all of the conversations I've brought your way so far. There's plenty more to come in hour number three. We kick off hour three with James Scully, who shares his thoughts on three races to watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 1020. And the final segment of today's show comes your way at 1030 Eastern as I once again welcome trainer Dale Romans and turf writer Tim Wilkin to discuss racing's hottest topics on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to the third hour of the show nationwide on Sirius 216, XM 204, in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680, or on your computer, phone, or tablet with our live streaming at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is coming up next right after I pause. Ten seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. But Art Collector is kicked clear! Art Collector in the colors of Bruce Lundford, they're going to win the Pegasus World Cup going away! Art Collector and Junior Alvarado win by four in the end. Gambling Girl and Pretty Mischievous leads two down to the wire. Pretty Mischievous Gambling Girl, Pretty Mischievous wins the Kentucky Oaks. And it's the Belmont winner in charge. Disarm gets loose late, and it's coming with a menacing bid. It's Archangelo and Disarm, one, two. Archangelo, another Travers for Javier Castellano. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Arabian Nights, all hard battling on. Slow down, Andy, any one of these three. It's Arabian Night hanging on. Go Rocket Rider, Arabian Night has won the Pacific Classic. A 16th to run, and Idiomatic has a two-length lead. Nest is fully extended, but not coming close to Idiomatic. A huge performance all the way in the personal ensign. Yukiri has moved up into second on the outside, running a big one at a good price, but there's no doubt about the winner. Goodbye, Olive is a champion again. Now, here's Mike Penna. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Equine Forum, the final Equine Forum program of 2023. Happy to have you along for the ride this morning. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, diving headlong into the final furlong here, the last hour of the program, and it is loaded with some outstanding content. We're going to hear from James Scully coming up momentarily with this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker will take you on his stroll through racing history at 10.20 and at 10.30. Dale and Tim will both be with me to tackle the hottest topics in the game today as we look back on 2023 and look ahead to 2024 with this week's I Ask, They Answer. All of that's still to come. If you missed any portion of what I've talked about for the per first two hours of the show and any of the guests that have been joining me, you know what to do. Head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. Check out the podcast whenever you get a few minutes, and you can do that not just with this show, but with all of the shows we bring your way each and every week throughout the year. And you can do it not just on our website, but on every 
podcast platform. So however you get your podcast, type in Horse Racing Radio Network and take us with you wherever you go. Time now to kick off Hour 3, and we do it with this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. James Scully, a Merry Christmas to you. I didn't get a chance to do that before Christmas, so Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, my friend. Looking forward to 2024 and looking forward to what you have to say with three races on this Twin Spires Triple Play this morning. Yes, Happy New Year to you, Mike. I uh, hope you had a great uh, holiday so far. And, yeah, an exciting day with uh, some, you know, we got uh, Pegasus, World Cup, Pegasus prep, uh, uh, preps at uh, Gulfstream Park. They got four total stakes and got stakes, a uh, couple graded stakes at Santa Anita and stakes at Fairgrounds, Oakland, and Turfway. So, you know, I, I like uh, having uh, New Year's fall on Monday. We were going to have three days of uh, good racing ahead, and we get started with some uh, with some spots of interest that I'm excited to talk about uh, from a betting perspective. All three races you have selected for our listeners this week are stakes races, and they come from three different racetracks. We're going to start with the 10th race at Gulfstream, which is the grade three Harlan's Holiday for the older horses on the dirt. That's going to be a good one. Uh, we have the seventh race at the fairgrounds, 12 horses in that one. We'll talk about that race. That's the wood chopper. And then the seventh race at Turfway will wrap it up for us here uh, coming up uh, on this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. So why don't we kick it off with the Harlan's Holiday, a field of 11. And by the way, all three of the races you've selected are big fields with lukewarm morning line favorites. So some betting opportunities there, I'm sure. But 11 horses going postward in the Harlan's Holiday. O'Connor for Safi Joseph Jr., the 5-2 to two morning line favorite. Do you like him or are you playing against him? I am fading O'Connor. He is the favorite in here. He finished fourth as the favorite in this race last year. And I, while I, I, I liked his win, I mean, he showed some grittiness winning that great two Fayette. Uh, it did come at nine furlongs. I thought there was that that pace was contested early on in there, and I thought it set up well for him. This race, uh, he cuts back to mile sixteenth. You know, he was really strong at longer distances. A, a Group One winner in Chile at a mile and a quarter. He ran big at, at even longer distances there, and I I think his last three I think his last three starts have, have showed me. Uh, he prefers nine furlongs uh, over eight and a half. I don't think this race has a lot of pace. He's a confirmed closer. In fact, I like uh, number seven right to his outside in the starting gate, Octane. And I was surprised to see Octane uh, pegged at 12 to one on the morning line because this is a field, Mike, that really does not have any true speed entered. Uh, you definitely have some horses that if uh, – you know, things shape up uh, right. They could wind up on the front end, like New York, uh, NY Traffic, Grand Aspen, Blue Devil, and uh, perhaps Gasoline to the outside. But I think Octane is the speed of the speed. I really liked his last re- uh, effort at a one-turn mile. He, uh, in, a, in a listed, uh, a restricted stake at Gulfstream in October, that was his first start back from a freshening, and he really prompted uh, and uh, a fast pace before wrestling the lead on the back stretch and, and powered away to really win in good fashion. Got a triple digit number. I think that uh, he doesn't always make the early lead octane, but when he does, uh, he he's, can be extremely uh, tough. Uh, you know, be, being on the lead or extri- you know uh, leading at, at every point of call in in four of his five wins. And I think he's going to get the right setup. I think he's poised for a big effort off that last race. It added the necessary fitness. 
and uh, I, I'm going to give him the edge in a uh, in like you said a very competitive edition of the Harlan Holiday. What's your approach to betting a race like this, James? When you like a horse like Octane that is twelve to one on the morning line, probably going to be right around that market post time. Do you do you bet him just to win or just the place or however you, you make those straight bets or do you try to get creative and make even a bigger score by hooking him up in exactos, trifectas, superfectas, multi-race wagers? How do you do it? Well, I'm definitely going to bet him to win and I don't know if I'll bet I don't think the 12 to 1 price is going to hold because you know, I mean, here's a horse. He he. It doesn't show on his PPs, but he led wire to wire in a mile and a sixteenth uh, stake at Gulfstream uh, earlier in his career. I think he, people are going to see that he, he has a perhaps a, a potential pace advantage. And I'll definitely have win money, and I'll be keying him in multi race wagers. Like he's the kind of horse that I look look to single in multi race wagers. But the idea of boxing him in an exacta with some others uh, will have appeal. But I, I'm going to be doing that from a value p- uh, perspective. Like, I won't be boxing Octane in second in an exacto with O'Connor. Uh, there's a couple others in here that I think have some upside, and if they offer the right price, then I'll look at perhaps, uh, uh, you know, playing them uh, on top and on in second in an exacto box. Well, Octane number seven in the Harlan's Holiday does offer the right price, 12 to 1 on the morning line under Edgar Zayas for trainer Juan Alvarado. That is James Scully's top pick to begin this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Don't forget you can bet all three of the races James is going to talk about here this morning at Twin Spires uh, later today, so make sure you're doing that as well. James will move to the fairgrounds next. Race seven at the fairgrounds is the Woodchopper, which is a race that is about one mile on the turf, purse of 100000 another big field, 12 horses set to go. You have a 3-1 to one morning line favorite in Gigante, so a similar um, uh, situation that we had in the previous race. How did you see this one? Well, yeah, I, I mean, a, a true, you know, like you said, I mean, you got 12 horses. you got a pair of three-year-old stakes at fairgrounds today, and both of them at a mile on turf uh, drew 12 runners. So it's been really popular, the turf course down there this winter so far. I like number seven, Northern Invader. I think he's going to relish the move back to turf off of a runner-up finish in a uh, dirt stake at Churchill Downs in late November, in which uh, he broke slowly, was sluggish from the starting gate, breaking from the innermost post last time, but offered a good rally for second. And uh, I think he just did that on, on you know class alone. Uh, I think he's much better on the turf. In fact, Northern Invader switched to the turf for his third start this summer at Belmont and rolled to an impressive eight-length win. He was bet down to favoritism in the Secretariat, jumped straight to a graded stakes company, and had a rough trip that day. Uh, Didn't, you know, got steadied on the far turn, was a little bit rank after that, and offered a decent run before coming up a little bit short. But I loved how he bounced back the next start, his last turf start, two starts back in the Geopony. I, I thought that uh, that Ohana uh, Honor, you know, who you know was a, a pretty decent rival that day, and he won pretty easily over him. And then, like I said, I think that turf race last time, you know, I can see that they weren't running on the turf uh, at much at the end of the Churchill Downs meet, so they pretty much knew that race, even though it was called the Commonwealth Turf, was going to be on the main track. But Cherie DeVoe needed a race for him, probably uh, having raced only once since August. 
and used that as sort of a prep uh, for these turf stakes at fairgrounds. And I thought it was an encouraging effort that he's going to improve significantly upon. This is a race where there is like a little bit of speed in there, and that'll be no problem for Northern Vader because he can sit second. He's a a versatile type that uh, if there's not much pace signed on, he'll just go right to the front and lead all the way. But I I anticipate a a favorable trip sitting second or third with Brian Hernandez and for number seven, Northern Invader to prove best in the woodchopper today. How about the quick start to the meet for Cherie DeVoe? From her first 15 starters, four wins, three seconds, and two-thirds, that's a 27% strike rate in the win column. Not too shabby. No, not too shabby at all, and and she really has a lot of nice horses. Uh, She really... uh, her barn has improved a lot of those. Uh, so, I mean, she had the uh, favorite in the uh, juvenile Phillies turf and, and she ran really well this fall. And, and yeah, her barn has a lot of nice horses and, and she's an excellent uh, horse person. So um, it, it, that's a good sign for Northern Invader that uh, her horses have been running well at fairground so far this winter. And uh, I look for him to get back uh, and earn his second uh, stakes win today. All right, Northern Invader number seven, seven to two on the morning line in the Wood Chopper, racing in the black and gold colors of West Point Thoroughbreds, the top pick in the Wood Chopper for James Scully. James, let's move on to Turfway Park, the final leg of the Twin Spires triple play that you have selected. It is race seven. It is the holiday cheer stakes. Eleven horses signed on to go postward here. It is six furlongs on the all weather. It has a post time of eight fifty five Eastern. That could be a, a chilly one later tonight at Turfway Park. Yes, it could, but the forecast looks favorable. It's not supposed to snow or rain uh, during the afternoon. Sun might come out, and then uh, it's supposed to be just partly cloudy this evening. So I'm, in, I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, the, all eight races will be run, and the holiday cheer is race number seven. Uh, it's an 11-horse field. You have a lukewarm morning line favorite in there, Fortin Hill, and he's a seven-year-old who's never raced on synthetics and – I think uh, prefers six and a half or seven furlongs. The horse I like in here is Great Tis Outside, number 10, Nighttime. And Nighttime is a six-year-old for uh, Bill Morey. Um, he really showed an affinity for Turfway Park last winter, recorded a real strong uh, allowance win in his second start over the track, came back after that, ran a, third, a close third in the forego, and then a next second in the Big Daddy. And uh, he was off after Turfway meet uh, until Saratoga. Previous connections ran up for an eighty thousand dollar tag. He was he was uh, claimed out of that race. Came back with a good effort at Prescott Downs in a handicap type stakes race um, uh, that where he finished a, a close third. And then I really liked his win on it. Showed his versatility. Nighttime did two starts back at Keeneland. He beat a, a field in there that included uh, Encore. Came right back to win a salty allowance at Churchill Downs in uh, late November. That's a nice horse. That was a good effort by Nighttime. Was uh, more refreshing in two months for this last start. And let me just say, um, the. Um, uh, the, the, that was, once again, a really good feel where the, the winner of that race, Audidor, 
was uh, exiting a romping win, like a five-length victory at Kentucky Downs for Wesley Ward and has really come on. Uh, Surly Furious was in that race at Prescott Downs and had finished one spot in front of him. And I just thought that that was a very strong effort where he just missed by a nose at six furlongs. But I think he's going to move forward off that race. He's well drawn to the outside, nighttime is. And I just think that, you know, he's a horse that, to me, He's, he he loves Turfway Park. He's he's poised to run his best races right now for Bill Morey, and I look to strike with nighttime in the Holiday Chair tonight at Turfway Park. And again, solid value at nine to two on the morning line in that race. And also at get the jockey, also get the jockey change to Fernando De La Cruz. You know, I was watching him uh, two nights ago, and he was on. He booted home a winner, and then rode two uh, long shots to runner-up finishes. So, it looks like he's in pretty good form to me. James Scully with me here on the Twin Spires Triple Play. Three races you can bet later today at TwinSpires.com. Uh, James, let's recap. Number seven, Octane at twelve to one. Your top pick in the Harlands Holiday at Gulfstream. That's race number ten this afternoon. Race seven at the fairgrounds, you go with number seven, Northern Invader at seven to two, and race seven at Turfway, the holiday cheer stakes, you'll take number ten nighttime at odds of nine to two. So the old seven seven ten Twin Spires triple play this morning. That is it, Mike, and uh, make sure you check out uh, TwinSpires.com. We have some terrific uh, promotions going on at this time of year. Um, you know, we've got uh, good promos uh, for basically all the, the tracks that are running now and um, just going to be giving away free money uh, in terms of uh, 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 hit it and split it, money back, uh, points, and, and, and much more. So uh, check out TwinSpires.com offers page and make sure you opt in. And check out James Scully along with co-host Bobby Newman every Thursday here on the network. You can listen to them with the brisnet.com call-in show, your chance to call in and talk racing with James and Bobby. They do a tremendous job. And, James, I really appreciate you doing that every week. I know our listeners really appreciate calling in and talking racing with you guys and can't wait to, uh, to get you back in the mix next Thursday with that show. Yeah, absolutely. We love doing it, and uh, we've got really had uh, a lot of participation. It's your chance to express your opinions about anything horse racing related. Mike, Lee, your producer there, uh, Happy New Year. I will talk to you next in 2024. You got it, my friend. Happy New Year. James Scully, that uh, brisnet.com call-in show every Thursday, 6 to 7 Eastern here on HRN. These very same SiriusXM channels and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history, and then at 10.30, Dale and Tim will both be with me for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of Grade 1 winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is Broodmare of the Year Weekend Surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect 4-for-4 four four season with an emphatic victory in the historic Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the Grade 1. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Sackey's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear and going to take the rear to sprint by a widening margin. Five, five, all in hitting at One of the few items which survived the fire was a commemorative piece featuring a likeness of 1962 Kentucky Derby winner, Decidedly. Larry told us he would like to learn more about Decidedly, and we are happy to oblige. Decidedly was foaled on March 3, 1959 at the El Paco Ranch in the Upper San Joaquin Valley region of Madera County, California, of owner-breeder George Pope Jr. The ranch covered 15,000 acres and was a thriving agricultural operation, including a large band of beef cattle and crops which included cotton, corn, and grapes. Decidedly was a son of 1954 Kentucky Derby winner Determine, who was by now a member of the stallion roster at Laguna Seca Ranch in Monterey, California. A gray colt decidedly got his coloring from his father but he was said to be a lighter shade of gray and was taller, leaner, and more athletic in appearance. Decidedly's mother, Gloire Fee, French for Glory Girl, was dismissed by many as a cheap claimer. In fact, her final career victory had come at Golden Gate Fields while racing for a tag of $2,000. But others described her as sound, tough, durable, noting she had finished in the money 28 times in 69 career starts. 
As far as genetics then, decidedly had the ingredients to make a good racehorse. He had stamina on his sire's side of the pedigree, combined with speed and durability on his mother's side. And his dam also happened to be a granddaughter of legendary racehorse Man of War. Decidedly also had at least one other notable characteristic, and this one was less than desirable in a racehorse. He hated having a jockey on his back. When entered for his debut, for example, in the first juvenile race of the season at Hollywood Park in 1961, he had to be scratched. Why? Because he had tossed his jockey in the post parade. After running twice in California with neither effort producing a victory, decidedly went east to spend the summer at Saratoga. In the process, he got a new trainer as Pope sent him to the barn of Horatio Luro, a native of Argentina described as tall, dramatically handsome, and with courtly manners. Luro also happened to be an excellent horseman. Decidedly responded well to the transfer to Luro's barn. Despite once again unseating his jockey during the post parade, he managed to find his way to the starting gate and to the post at Saratoga in his East Coast debut and broke his maiden at odds of 24 to 1. Still, he would finish the year with just two wins in eight starts and $7,500 in earnings. Despite winning his season's debut at Hialeah as a three-year-old, decidedly had won just three times in 12 career starts by the time he arrived at Churchill Downs for the Kentucky Derby. And his path to Churchill had been a troubled one. He had lost precious time, missing the Flamingo Stakes at Hialeah because of colic, while a virus had kept him from running in the Florida Derby. He then lost as the three to five favorite in the seven furlong forerunner at Keeneland. But there was a glimmer of hope when decidedly finished runner-up to eventual derby favorite Rydan in the bluegrass stakes when stretching to a mile and an eighth. Loro was convinced that even if timing and scheduling were not in his favor, added distance would still play to his Colts' advantage. The 88th running of the Kentucky Derby went to the post on Saturday, May 5, 1962, dispatched at odds of 8-1 to one as the third betting choice in a field of 15 horses, decidedly rallied from 10th under jockey Bill Hartack, closed into a fast pace which had taken its toll on the front runners, and won the run for the Roses. It was the Colts' first career stakes win, and the time of two minutes and two-fifths of a second for the mile and a quarter broke the stakes record by better than a full second, and that record had stood for just over 20 years. Luro was credited for one of the greatest training jobs in the history of the Kentucky Derby. A colt which had been described as looking backwards less than a month earlier had won the Derby and had done so in record time. An added distinction was the fact decidedly had become just the third California bred ever to wear the roses. Decidedly would not win another race the rest of that year. He would finish eighth in the Preakness and fourth in the Belmont. Jiper, who skipped the Derby, would win both the Belmont and the Traverse Stakes to be named champion three-year-old male. Decidedly returned in 1963 to win the Ben Ally Stakes at Keeneland in track record time, and he later won both the Dominion Day Handicap at Woodbine and the $100,000 Monmouth Handicap. He was retired from racing the following year with a record of 11 wins in 43 career starts. As a stallion, decidedly met with modest success, siring 18 stakes winners from 20 crops. He died at the age of 25 on November 12, 1984. We remember decidedly, and we thank our listeners for taking the time to write, 
and to ask questions. Happy New Year, everyone. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Dell Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires, download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The Maryland thoroughbred industry. For over 200 years, the innovative leader. Maryland was the first to have organized racing in North America and the first to establish a state breeders association. Maryland created the first thoroughbred yearling show, the first state magazine, the first state breeder incentive development program, the first international race to feature horses from four continents, and the first million dollar one day stallion stakes event. The Maryland thoroughbred industry is the innovative leader. A grade one winner on both dirt and turf, War of Will became a classic winner with this victory in the Preakness Stakes. He added turf credentials to his resume with a determined victory in the grade one Maker's Mark Mile. Now his progeny are bringing top dollar in the sales ring. 650,000. Jesse, 375,000. AC, 335,000. A dual surface classic winning son of Warfront, War of Will, standing at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. But there's one for love to go. Two fills, fights on, but Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empires are rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep, urged onto the wire, onto the wire to win the derby. Mage the winner. Wide up, Mario has taken the lead. Arabian Night gives way. Service of the Gage and Ospa Tesoro are trying to close the gap, but it is quite a barrio. Did it Brad Ortiz, and they have won the Breeders' Cup Classic. Jockey Javier Castellano and trainer Rick Dutrow both had a year to remember, but which resurgence should be considered the comeback of the year in 2023? Plus, what does it really mean when you hear the phrase, he's working like a good horse? And if I were appoint, to appoint Dale and Tim co-commissioners of racing here this morning, what would their top New Year's resolutions be 
for the industry in 2024. We're going to talk about those topics and much, much more straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. All right, gentlemen, the final I Ask, They Answer episode of 2023 before we kick things off next week in 2024. And we begin today's show, appropriately enough, with a trio of topics that were submitted by our listeners over the past week or so. I know how much you guys enjoy when our listeners participate in the show, so here you go. Topic number one, Dale, this one, I think, more in your wheelhouse than Timmy's, but Tim, feel free to chime in. It comes from John in St. Louis, Missouri, who wants to know, with the new year in sight, how do trainers of multiple derby prospects plan their springs, and how much influence do the owners have with the path to Churchill, and do you try to separate your prospects when you have multiple prospects? Dale, what do you think? Well, it can get complicated if you have more than one, but it depends a lot on if they're owned by the same people. Then you want to try to keep them separate, I know for sure. If... um, if they're owned by different people, you just have to look out what's best for the horse and the person and not worrying about your own personal goals. I mean, if it, if the Florida Derby seems like the best spot for two horses owned by two different horses, you run them both and may the best horse win and get the points and move forward. Uh, but if you own horses separately, then you definitely you'd want to keep them. I mean, by the same owner, you definitely want to keep them separate and try to get as many horses as for one owner into a race as you possibly can. I like to say on all my derby prospects that I have, I train for weekends, not for specific races. And look what what race looks like the best chance to pick up some points and, and, and move the horse forward to the next round. How much influence do the owners have in determining that path to Churchill Downs? Well, owners are different. Some of them are very involved and some of them aren't involved at all. They just want you to tell them where you think is the best spot and a lot of times, uh, you know, I like an owner that gets involved. Uh, all balls, uh, Dennis Allball's son-in-law, Jason Lutz, is always involved with me. We talk almost daily and, and go over things with horses, and we'll talk it out. And it, if nothing else, it's just good to banter back and forth and come up with the right decision. But uh, some owners are really involved. Some just kind of want to sit back and enjoy the ride. Do you ever wonder or worry about what other trainers are doing with their horses? Do you try to keep an eye on that, or do you just worry about what you can control with your own horse? Yeah, there's some times if you think a horse is, is getting better but it's not quite ready to take on the champs, you might see where where Todd's running his horse and, and, and not want to go to that spot, go somewhere else and and uh, pick up some points and some prestige along the way. You know, Timmy, I always like to see top horses square off against each other and because of the fact that we often try to, as Dale said, maybe steer around certain horses here and there on the Derby Trail. We don't often get to see it. I'd love to see it where horses, you know, knock heads each and every time that they're that they're on the Derby Trail. They they meet in these big races leading up to it. I think that would be really cool. Well, I do too. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I've never had any kind of uh, dealings with this because I'm not a trainer, but 
One thing I've always been interested in, I'm going to ask Dale this. Dale, do you ever get an owner that has a horse on the Derby Trail and you have other horses on the Derby Trail too that would try to ask you not to run another horse against his? You know, I've never had that on the Derby Trail. Uh, I've had some owners in the past not, not want me to run entries. And I said, I got, if, I, if I didn't run this person's horse here that's the right spot for the horse, I might do the same thing for you down the road. And uh, you have to understand that I work for different people and I have to do what's best for each person individually. Is it, is it, um, does it get um, tricky sometimes when you're dealing with these egos of some of the owners? It, it could be a little tricky at times, but most of them are, are sportsmen and they don't mind. They understand. And at least the ones I deal with are pretty top notch people and they understand that you got to do what's best for everybody. What do you do? if you have more than one going in one race and in your mind, you know who the better horse is, obviously you have to keep that to yourself. How do you prepare an owner when in your mind, maybe he, he, his horse can't win, but he's, you have to give him, put the face on that he can. Well, I don't know that you put the face on that. It can, you can tell him you want to, you just got to tell the truth and tell him what you think, but you would be surprised how many times the horse you think is the lesser of the two ups and runs the big race. Right, right. And that, that's why you're going in there. Real quiet and in, uh, Indian Charlie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it happens It happens a lot. You'll see a lot of guys have multiple horses in a race and, and just average races, and the longest price on the, the longest of the two ends up winning the race. The other so Lucas horse. We, we used to hear like, that all the time with Wayne Lucas. Yeah, you, yeah, you have to prepare them all like they're going to win the race and point them there and Hope for the best for every horse. Timmy, my New Year's resolution is to let you host this show. Those were great questions, my friend. <laughs> well, that's pretty darn nice of you to say that, Mike. Um, <laughs> but I think I'm going to stay on my side. I'm going to stay on my side of the road. <laughs> well, we appreciate John with that topic. John, that was a fantastic topic. Here's another good one from Craig in Boynton Beach, Florida, who says oftentimes trainers are going to ship horses to a track and another trainer will watch over the horses as it preps for a specific race. How do those arrangements work in terms of fees? Does the trainer overseeing the horse get a daily fee and or a percentage of the purse? And is there a standard protocol for this situation or is each arrangement unique? Dale? Well, each arrangement is unique, but most of the time you're sending a horse to a friend of yours, and it's just a pro bono thing. They, you just oversee it, and they tell you what they want to do every morning or with their horse to train. They're actually training the horse. You just have it in the barn. Sometimes they'll send a groom with it. Sometimes if they can't get a groom, you'll have one of your grooms take care of it. But most of the time we reciprocate back and forth with one another, and we're, you know, it's, the horse is with a friend anyway, and you know you're going to make it up later. So do they, uh, like the feed, do they pay the feed or do you do that? Uh, usually we'll just, we'll just pay for it all when they ship into my barn anyway if they want us to. A lot of times they'll send their own feed because they're on their, their diet anyway. So they'll send the feed along with it. You just feed them as they go. And, uh, but that happens a lot. And I think everybody has their contacts at each region. If you ship, like if I go to New York, I'll go to Carlos Martin or, or Rick Dutrell has looked over some horses for me or Rick has sent horses into my barn even to run on Derby day. And, uh, we'll look over them for him until he gets there and his people get there. Yeah. I remember some stories were, um, I'm not going to name names, but some trainers were a little 
irritated or ticked off that someone didn't send a horse to them and rather than send them to someone else. It was like when Frank oh, yeah. Sinatra it was like when Frank Sinatra wanted Kennedy to stay at his compound and he stayed somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we we don't mind. we like helping each other, I think, and for the most part. And, I mean, I've shipped horses uh, California to different guys to look over for me. They've sent them from California. I've had some for Hollendorfer, for like say Dutro, for Carlos Martin, and, and uh, a lot of people. It just you just got to help each other out. Okay. Have you ever had someone ask you that you don't know? Uh, I know just about everybody, so not very often does that happen. But if there's somebody new come along and they don't know and need some help, I'm willing to help them. Oh, Craig, that's yeah. a great question, great topic. And if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim debate, this is a good time to remind you that all you have to do is email that topic to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and I'll get it worked in. Or you can send it to us on our social media at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing radio network on facebook and we'll work it into the show for you topic number three is also a listener submitted question it comes from rick via email who wants to know that you often hear people around the racetrack use the phrase quote he's working like a good horse or some version of that so rick wants to know if you guys could explain that phrase to a fan up in the grandstand how would you do that how would you explain it to them and what should one look for when watching the races and the horses to determine if they are quote unquote a good horse. Timmy, you want this one first? What things do you look for? Well, again, I'm not a trainer, but I've been around the game long enough where if I'm watching a horse in the mornings, I'm looking, I'm looking for some, a horse that seems calm, relaxed on the track. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and just seems to go about his business. I mean, uh, an example of that well, this year was Archangelo where he, Early on in his career, he was kind of goofing around on the track a lot and, you know, not getting too up to his task and, you know, like a big kid. But as he matured, you know, you'd see him when when he was out on the track at Saratoga in the weeks leading up to the Travers. He had grown from a boy to a man. He wasn't goofing around on the track and just looking around. He was into doing what he was supposed to be doing on the track. So, yeah, he, he was focused and on uh, – and, you know, on the muscle, as they say, and, and he knew what he was out there to do. And I think that's when you, the good ones, you see that in a lot. Um, and it, it's a process, I would think. Dale could probably say more about that than me. But when, when a horse is a young horse and he's just starting to get into this game and learn to what he's supposed to be doing, you know, you, you see it as he, as he advances in his training and he does things and he, he looks more professional. He knows what he's supposed to do out there. That's what I think to me. I mean, Dale might uh, have some other ideas on that. No, I think you're dead on. I think mostly you use that term on horses that haven't proven themselves yet as top horses. And if they're training like a good one, they're doing everything right. They're on a consistent work pattern every, every week and uh, doing the things that a good horse does, you know, we you can tell when one is not good and they just swell when they can't run. So, but if they're, if they're doing everything that they're supposed to do, they can, they have the potential to develop into a top racehorse and you can just tell the difference in them. If I was a layman just out there watching, I just look for a horse that uh, handles himself well, doesn't get too worked up. And it, it, on the form, if you're handicapping has, has worked every week and hasn't missed any work and is doing a lot of things that they're supposed to do. And, you know, there's a lot of horses can 
train like good horses end up being just average horses. They just don't seem to break through. But to say one is training like a good horse, it means they have the potential to get to the top. Dale, What's that line that people it, can... say that they leave the? I was going to. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that line where people say they they leave their race on, on the track in the morning. Yeah, that's usually a horse that wants to do too much in the mornings all the time, and is too aggressive. And you know, you hear people that don't come to the races a lot go to the paddock and see a horse acting up and stuff, and they think, well, that's the one I'm going to bet on. He's showing a lot of energy. Well, usually that's the one that you don't want to bet on. You want a one that goes out there as professional, standing there doing things right. And, Hadn't got worked up, and I mean, there's some horses like Sackler. He got worked up all the time, so that it wouldn't have played for him. But most of the good ones go over there and do things professionally and act right. Dale, can you recall a horse in your career? And I'm sure there's been several where they didn't train like a good horse, and you were thinking, "Oh my goodness, what are we going to do with this horse? He can't run." And then all of a sudden, boom! Something happens. The light bulb goes on, and the horse turns out to be really good. I've had a few, but they're far, few and far between that, uh, that that usually happens, that they surprise you the wrong way. Usually it goes the other way. They're doing everything right, but they go out in the race and just can't run. But I have had several horses that uh, trained well and did everything right. They were good, sound horses and, and didn't run well the first few times, but you just stick with them, and, and they come around, and they do. They end up being pretty nice horses. I had a horse, uh, I think his name was NBC. It took him seven or eight times to break his maiden, and then he made 900000 won great at stakes, and He'd always trained like a good one. We just we knew it was in there. It just took a while for him to put it all together on the racetrack on race day. How long does it take you to know if a horse can can be a good racehorse if they have that it factor? Well, you got. I think to to really know, you've got to run them a couple of times. You got to see what they do at the races. And uh, I tell all my clients, I say, I really can't tell you how good this horse is, but I can tell you when you got a bad one. Uh, pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll keep those questions coming each and every week. Mike at horseracingradio.net, one way to submit them, and you can do it on our social media pages too. And I know Dale and Tim really enjoy them. We'll get those worked into the show going forward. Guys, it is that time of the program where we say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? Okay, one statement for you, but it's a big one. Jockey Javier Castellano and trainer Rick Dutrow both had a year to remember in 2023. Castellano won seven grade one races with five different horses, including the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont, and the Travers. Dutrow returned to training in the U.S. following his 10-year ban and quickly found himself back on top, winning three graded stakes, which were highlighted by the Whitney and the Breeders' Cup Classic with White Abario. Dutrow's return is pretty remarkable his return to prominence but i'm gonna say javier castellano's resurgent at the age of 46 should be the top comeback story of 2023 is that right or wrong what do you think right or wrong timmy you know that's a tricky one because you know both rick and javier had you know phenomenal years um I guess I would have to say it's right because Castellano, um, you know, he came, his career was seemingly over a couple of years ago after he had the COVID bout and he had the hip surgery. Then he was no one was riding him, but he persevered and he came back. And, you know, Derby, you know, Belmont Travers, Jockey Club Gold Cup, won 19 million in purses. And, and again, at the age of 46. But that's not taking anything away from Rick Dutrow either. 
I mean, it's uh, he's always been a phenomenal horseman. And, you know, he, he did his time. And a lot of, you know, it, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are still negative on him. But he, with White Abario, he showed that he knows what to do with a good horse. And, you know, I think that just a matter of time before he gets a whole bunch of good horses and, and is right back on top of the game as far, not, not in the realm of winning like the Fletchers and the Chad Browns, but I think with good horses, he's going to be a, a big player. But for the comeback story for the year, I would, I would give it to Javier. I'm going to say you're wrong. I'm going to disagree with both of you. I think Javier's always been a top rider. I think that he just wasn't getting the horses for a little while. And uh, he, he finally got the horses back, and he, he he rode like he always rode. I mean, if you can go back on the show, I know several times I've said he could ride any horse of mine at any time, even when he wasn't winning as much as he had early in his career. But I think for Rick to be unjustly suspended for 10 years as he was, and to come back and do what he did and bounce right back where he left off, it's, uh, he's definitely my comeback player of the year. But wouldn't with Javier, I mean, it's a, it's a comeback story because he didn't do that last year. And I get what you're saying about Rick, believe me. But, I mean, maybe it's just apples and oranges with this one. I, yeah, it, it probably is. But I think Javier, riders are secular. You know, it's, 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 a lot depends on the horses they get. He just wasn't getting the top horses. and. As soon as he got on the horses, he was still riding good, even though it wasn't good. Dale, as a fellow trainer, put in perspective exactly how incredible it is what Rick Dutro has been able to accomplish in such a short period of time here in 2023. Oh, I was just an incredible feat. I mean, just uh, to be out 10 years and come back, and as soon as you walk in, you got horses. It just shows how much his people supported him before he left, and and uh, how much he kept up with the game. And I say, we had so many changes in the last 10 years. It's in, it, it just shocked me. And I, I know what a great horse trainer is, but it even shocked me as how quickly he rebounded and filled the barn up and, and to go on and win our, our fall's biggest race. was It was an incredible feat. I was very happy for him. That's an interesting conversation. Both Javier Castellano, Rick Dutro, special years, and both very deserving of the title. Comeback quote-unquote player of the year in thoroughbred racing that is i asked they or that is not i asked the answer we're not wrapping up the show yet that is right or wrong with our good friend nick zito we will bring that segment back again as we do every week next saturday morning when we when we bring you i asked the answer but we're not done yet one more topic to get to before dale and tim make their final point of the week and guys if if i'm going to go ahead and declare each of you co-commissioners of thoroughbred racing for this final segment here this morning as commissioners, what are your top New Year's resolutions for the industry looking ahead to 2024? Timmy, you want this one first? Do I get paid for this? <laughs> the new it's a non-paying position. This is all okay, just a hypo- hypothetical situation. That's okay. Well, obviously, you, you, the, 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 the politically correct answer is to say, you know, you want universal safety for the horses and you know that's been we've spoke about that uh, forever on this show and other people have too but i'm going to throw a few other things out there here's one i want to get richard migliori on the hall of fame ballot this is a rider who had a great career in new york yeah he didn't win a triple crown race but he's, he's he was a consummate professional and i think there's riders in there that he was better than I would, I would want to get Richard on the, on the ballot. And another thing I think that I would like to, hit, to have done in light of the way that uh, recently that there's been so much uh, 
complaining and maybe rightfully so about some of the stewards uh, judgments in races i think that every trainer jockey and owner should each get a challenge flag five per meet to throw a flag and then like they do in the nfl throw the red flag to uh challenge the steward's decision you know there'd have to be some work going into this because you'd have to have a you know a universal desk like they do in the nfl going to new york to to look at the uh, infractions and if the you know if the challenge is uh is upheld um and the, and the owner, the jockey, the trainer wins. They you know they they get the person and whatever. But if they lose the challenge, I think each trainer, owner, or jockey who throws the flag has to make a five hundred dollar contribution to the PDJF or the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Those would be. I would like to see that happen. I don't know if it ever will, but I think it would be kind of cool. Yeah, it would be cool. I need more than five though. Uh, <laughs> five per meet five per meet we can't have you do it yeah. can't have you do it every day i'd be throwing that flag all the time uh, i think if i was made commissioner i think first of all we've had this rollout of uh isa that uh oversees our game now and is our our regulatory body i think that it's morphing into a better program and they're learning a lot and it's getting better i would just say that we we keep working with them and try to try to make the rules and regulations uniform everywhere and and uh, fair for everybody. I think that if anybody's cheating, that they need to be out there looking for them and catching them. But they also need to be protecting people who have outside contaminant problems that are trying to do everything right. I think working with HISA is a, a big goal for this year, and I think that's a possible doable thing. With, with hypothetical or not, I think it can work. Yeah, one thing I'd like to see happen in 2024, if it was my New Year's resolution, I would be um, really committed to trying to find a way to create a a PR and marketing firm for the sport of thoroughbred racing. I think there are several times in this environment that we're all living in in this industry where a PR firm would be – you know, to get our positive messages out would be a, a huge step in the right direction. And, you know, marketing, you know, that's something that's been talked about in thoroughbred racing for generations, and it just doesn't seem to happen in the right way. But getting our message out there and, and reaching an audience that's going to bet the races and come to the races, I, I think that's critical for the future success of the game. I agree 100%. That would be great. Yep, that would yep. Be and I also agree on I also agree on Richard Migalori. We need to get him in the Hall of Fame, well-deserving Hall of Fame career. Yep, incredible resume for the Mig, and um, that's that's a good one, Timmy. I like that. All right, it is time in the show for you to make one final point. We'll do it with Dale and Tim. And Dale, let's uh, go to you first this week. What is your final point of the week on this final show in 2023? Well, first of all, it's been a it's been a great year. It's been a lot of fun horse racing this year. We had a lot to talk about, but I really appreciate this show and our listeners. And um, it, it's a highlight of my week for a half hour a day to get to sit around with you guys and talk about horse racing to people who want to hear about horse racing. And I want to say anybody out there that listens to the show, if you ever see me at the track, give me a yell and let me know what you're watching. Very nice, Dale. Very nicely said. Um, I agree with everything he just said, but with this being our last show of the year, with New Year's right around the corner, a couple days, um, I just want to say there were so many great stories that, that happened in 2023. There were some bad ones, too. 
But if I was just going to name my story of the year for um, 2023, um, <laughs> it would be a photo finish for a bunch of them. But I think I would put the Cody's Wish story right at, right at the wire as, as the best story of horse racing that, that brought the sport together, that, that, that made, I think, made fans of you know non-horse racing people became fans of horse racing because of the heart-wrenching story of Cody's Wish and Cody Dorman. Yeah, great points, Agreed. guys, and, and a perfect way to end 2023. I'm going to throw one out here, too, because over the past couple of weeks, and, of course, we, we didn't do a live show last week for Christmas, but over the past couple of weeks, our listeners have reached out to us telling us how much they enjoy this segment, how much do they enjoy listening to both Dale and Tim, and we want to say thank you to each and every one of our listeners, but so many of you also expressed your gratitude toward Dale for his very brave statements this past the summer when he came out and talked about his battle with alcoholism and seeking help for that and Dale we received a beautiful note from a listener who even said that helped him and his family through through um, you know to put everything in perspective and your comments your situation your bravery uh, is changing lives out there Dale and it's had an impact so um, thank you for that my friend and all the best in 2024 thank you buddy 94 days today unbelievable Congratulations. Right. Proud of you, brother. Thank you, fellas. All right, guys. Uh, if you want to have a if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, just email it to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net. We'll get it worked in. Guys, appreciate it. Happy New Year. We'll talk next week. Happy New Year, hey, Happy New Year news. I asked the answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fans, world-class racing is underway at spectacular Santa Anita, so come join the fun as we move into the new year. First post time Saturday, Sunday, and Monday is at 12 noon, with admission gates opening at 10 a.m. Ring in the new year with us on Monday, and you can enjoy great racing along with $1 beers and sodas, as well as $2 hot dogs. Horse players, check out our new wagering menu that includes the traditional pick six with a $1 minimum. If no one selects six winners, there is a carryover to the next racing day, Additionally, our popular all-turf pick three is back with a $3 minimum showcasing the final three turf races each day. And check out our new $1 minimum trifectas and rolling pick threes with bigger payouts the order of the day. Bring the kids. Our infield winter family fun zone is back this weekend. And don't forget to join the party on Fridays with free parking and admission along with $3 beers and $5 margaritas. First post time is at 12 noon. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment. 
email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, don't forget the January issue of Blood Horse features 170-plus pages, which includes some incredible stories. You can download a copy now from the Blood Horse magazine app via the App Store or Google Play, or subscribe today and receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar, which is a $24.95 value, and it's all absolutely free. Go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN plus included in your subscription to Blood Horse Magazine is a free Blood Horse Plus membership, which is a $50 value. And you can get all of that by going to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN. Winding down this final show here in 2023, my thanks to all of you who have taken time to tune in over the past year and even beyond that, the past 20 years of HRN. It's been a delight to have you with us each and every week, not just this show, but all of our programs, all of our sponsors who make this show possible. My thanks to you as well. They talked about Richard Migliori at the end of I Ask, They Answer. 4,450 career wins, the Eclipse Award, Outstanding Apprentice Jockey of 1981. Yeah, the MIG has some credentials to be in the Hall of Fame. My thanks to all of our guests for joining me here this morning. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you missed any portion, head to our social media pages and head to our website, horseracingradio.net, to check out the podcast whenever you get some time. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studio and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening. Hey, go Steelers. <laughs>